0: do you think, Sir Mix a lot? What do you think he got knighted for? I reckon. Uh, you know what, <laughs> Mix? You know what? <laughs> Loads.
1: That is an enormously good question, and I I would posit the same question towards Sir Kill a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I think Steve's on the money. It's for doing something a lot. I think if you do something a lot, you get knighted for it. Like Sir Kill a lot, Sir Mix a lot, Sir, Sir Lance a lot. And Sir Kill a lot obviously. So Sir so Lance a lot because he, he lanced. He lanced, lanced uh, boils, uh, spots. You know, Doctor Pimple Popper. That's very much this generation, Sir Lancelot. Yep. Hello, and welcome to What Is Music? A music podcast about music. We're a podcast that focuses on discographies in their entirety. We're doing deep dives on one artist at a time, and you join us for season six, which is called Are We Enjoying This?, a critical analysis of the history, cultural impact, and music of R.E.M. We're going through their entire career, album by album, track by track, asking questions like, does context matter when you're listening to music? Does knowing the history of an artist affect your appreciation of their output? And this season, we're, of course, asking, are we enjoying this? And to be clear, we're asking, are we enjoying this in regards to the band R.E.M., not are we enjoying this in regards to this, the sixth season of our podcast, which is called Are We Enjoying This?, and which you may or may not be enjoying. I'm Adam Scott Glasspool. I'm a big music nerd, and I'm a big fan of R.E.M., With me, as always, are two of my very closest friends. The first is someone who is not a huge music nerd, is maybe the least knowledgeable on music in general out of the three of us. And it's just learning through this podcast how to apply critical thought onto why he likes or dislikes something and whether that means it's good or not. It is, of course, Lucas Way. Pleasure to be here. And, of course, we have someone between those two places, Steve Murphy.
2: It's a lot shorter, isn't it? But I like it.
0: Shorter than what? Shorter than it was? Yeah. Yeah, it's shorter than it was. Yeah. It's a bit shorter yeah. than Lucas's and it's I guess it's slightly shorter than mine. Is that an issue? Yeah. You got a, are you going to have a complex about that?
2: Maybe stretch it out like in in uh editing.
0: So it's it's about like 3 minutes. Put it to like 0.5 speed or something yes, like that. Yes, please. Yeah, that'd be great. Welcome back to the podcast, Steve Van Lucas. How are you and all of those things that we do at the beginning of the episodes. great. I'm not actually that interested. I am well. I, Adam, On the podcast...
1: I, I'm, uh, no, Adam, I'm, re- Adam, I'm well. Uh, Steve hasn't answered the question. Steve didn't get it to say.
0: Steve, are you well, mate?
2: Are you well? Um, yeah, actually, I'm not too bad.
0: On the podcast, we are exploring the entire discography of REM. Last week, we, we kind of introduced the season... Uh, we talked about what we know about R.E.M., our impressions of them, and our experiences with and on them. Uh, and to briefly recap, because some people might not listen to the introduction, they might just go like, oh, Chronic Town, we're going to start there. Me, I'm a very big fan of R.E.M., have been for most of my life. Steve, you know, bits of their music here and there, and you've mostly liked what you've heard, I think is what you said. Yeah. Lucas, you probably named about five songs, and I don't think you could hum them all. Uh, do you think that's fair enough? Uh, I could. Okay, I could hum all the ones I named do you reckon yeah okay well i think we've got a great idea for a bonus episode there that we must save <laughs> lucas, lucas hums names. 100 socks <laughs> <laughs> but we've got Christ. we've got like a a broad spectrum uh of experiences there and we also did a little rem 101 we kind of briefly talked about where they're from when they formed how long they were active and we spoke a little bit on what each member of the band brings to the table um This episode, these second episodes, I always kind of see them as the first proper episode of the season. We're going to look at the beginnings of the band, their place in the musical landscape of the time, their their early years, the release of their first single and the release of their EP, Chronic Town. Uh, We're going to discuss each track on that EP, as well as other topics, in order to get a little bit closer to answering the question, what is music? And guys, what is music? Just
1: going, and calling it lyrics. Yeah, certainly.
2: But there's one of the songs that you've already hummed.
0: Yep. Yeah, we could, yeah. so now it's Lucas' Way 99. 99. 99. That's
1: called, that's called <laughs> by Lucas Way.
0: <laughs> Steve, what is music?
2: Tight drums. Mm, the tightest mm. of drums. Do you mean like
1: tight as in like, you know, really like... Clean and put and put together really well and on rhythm, or do you mean like they've tuned the drums
2: really? Does that snares like? Tss, no. Tss, tss. What What I mean
0: is, if I asked the drums for money, they'd probably say no. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what. Also, uh, we love to really dive into context on this podcast, and so I have another question for you both. Have you guys heard of rock music? Now let me think, because everyone's
2: talking about pop music. They are. is that the one that was invented by foo fighters <laughs> kind of okay then yes uh yeah i've heard of rock music have you what do you know
0: about rock music
2: uh 1950s uh rock and roll <laughs> yeah i mean it's a good start it, cu- it was kind of born out of blues right it was kind of born out of that part of the world
0: yes the blues. And what, uh, what part of the world is that? What part America. Of the is the blues? America. Lovely. America. <laughs> this is not bad. This is not Birth,
1: Birthplace. I believe the birthplace of the blues is actually considered to be uh, Clarksdale, Mississippi. That's very interesting. And do you know that because you've been there? I know that because I've been there. I've been to the, oh, I've been wow. to the, the famous crossroads where <laughs> apparently discovered
0: the blues. I wonder how many towns there are in that area of America that claim to be the birthplace of the blues. Yes. No, that one it is Clarksdale. Is that one. It's the one that Lucas went to. Clarksdale, yes.
1: Mississippi. Thank you very
0: much. Um, rock music. Rock music. Let's keep this very, very broad, but I think it's an important foundation upon which to build this season. Steve, you're absolutely right. Rock music began as rock and roll, which began as blues. Jazz, R&B, rhythm and blues, you know, it kind of mixes, what did it do? It kind of mixed country and folk music with those things to become rock and roll. And the entire legacy of the genre rests pretty squarely on black music of the 30s and 40s. So you get Chuck Berry, Bill Haley, Little Richard, and of course, most famously for rock and roll, who do you think of?
2: Elvis Presley. Yeehaw! That's my impression of him. (laughs) That's a great impression.
0: Yeah, that's Steve Goofin on Elvis again.
1: You missed um, Martin McFly. Of Of course, yeah, of course. Of
0: course. We say Chuck Berry because he phoned. uh, Wait, who who did he phone? Is it who's? It was was his cousin. Phones his cousin Marvin Marvin and says, "Marvin Berry, that's right." (laughs) And says, "Listen (laughs) to this."
2: Okay,
0: right, very important in the history of rock and roll, but it eventually gets its way round to Elvis, and that's kind of where you are in the 1950s, very, very broadly, and we're going to keep this so broad, guys, we're going to keep it so yeah. broad for the whole episode as well. Yeah. Rock music is kind of built on verse-chorus structure, repetitive 4-4-time four, four backbeats, simple chord progressions, and lyrics that typically take in romance, sex, rebellion against the established order of things... And social concerns. And that's the bit that kind of comes in from the folk music that it sprang from, you know, talking about society. And, of course, you know, rock music, uh, coming from that eclectic background, it progresses eclectically. So we're only going to focus on, like, the most popular modes of rock music here, guys. The, The primarily American art form of rock and roll Spreads across the world as a part of like this the the global Americanization that came in the wake of World War Two. Okay, are we on board? Mm. Do we know when World War Two is? Nineteenth, Lovely. No,
1: no, come on now. You know you you don't not know when World War Two was. You went. Of
2: course, I know when World War Two was. It's nineteenth.
0: It's just cutting out. He's cutting out. But I don't, I don't want to derail the, the episode because of Steve's poor internet. I, I think we'll just, we'll just keep going and just That's see what it is. that he definitely does know. It's definitely poor, internet. It's definitely poor yeah. internet. He definitely does know. Uh, in the 60s, though, what happens to rock music in the 60s? Ah, Oh, oh no. drugs. Drugs. Let's get more specific than that. The Beatles. The Beatles happens. That's right. right. The Beatles yeah. happens. <laughs> that's the <a> general t- <laughs> yeah. order of things, isn't it? Drugs, <laughs> then the Beatles happen. <laughs> yeah, um, and and there's a shift from calling it rock and roll to just calling it rock, which then kind of equates it with with pop music. The Rolling Stones. Kind of harken back to the blues origins of rock music. So, well, they had the role surely back into the rock and roll, hence the name, right? <laughs> I'm surprised they never used that. If they, I mean, if they did, they should
1: have done. Oh, they surely have got a B side somewhere called The Rock and Roll in Stones.
0: <laughs> I mean, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, so, so, rock music kind of like continues to be a huge force in music in the 60s, but now it's primarily British. And then as the Beatles become better and better produced and kind of more artistic in their leanings, two things happen. One, they start creating cohesive and coherent albums of music and rock transitions into becoming a primarily album-focused genre, having been very focused on singles before that. And the other thing that happens is that garage rock springs up in response to very polished rock music, right? Right. Uh, bands like the Velvet Underground kind of take that sensibility to like its experimental peak. And in the late 60s and early 70s, there is another movement of rock music too, which kind of harkens back to its jazz and its folk roots and kind of morphs into progressive rock or prog rock. There's like complex arrangements, there's a huge focus on albums over singles have these like lofty concepts there's a lot of experimentalism and a very high level of musicianship and then it's there that you kind of you start to see synthesizers and more experimental electronic instruments start to be introduced uh we're talking pink floyd we're talking king crimson we're talking yes okay that's where we are there um do stop me if you have any questions, by the way. I mean oh, No, I'm, I'm going to do the next bit. Uh. It's also during <laughs> the it. 70s that the opposite <laughs> of that happens, right? With rock music, it kind of becomes increasingly commercialised but also fragmented. So from the late 1960s, the term heavy metal began to be used to describe some hard rock that was kind of played with even more volume and intensity. And of course, well, when we're thinking of heavy metal we of course think of led zeppelin (laughs) deep purple and black sabbath um black sabbath kind of introduced that gothic element that you can see become the touchstone of heavy metal as we more accurately understand it to these days um maybe we wouldn't describe led zeppelin as like heavy metal but uh that's what it bought sorry and i just did the horns there i must point out i did the horns i'm describing the horns as well um in the 70s heavy metal it kind of also described bands like Judas Priest, uh, Motorhead, and Kiss, and I love Kiss being described as a heavy metal band because, of course, they've got all the makeup and they like they have blood coming out, out of their mouth, spit blood, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then their music is like some of the softest shit I've ever heard in my life.
3: God <laughs> <laughs> give rock and roll <laughs> yeah, to you,
0: exactly. Heavy well, metal. We talked Not about that the other day. I couple
1: of what we used an example with. Something like this used to be considered really heavy music, and then you pointed out that like Billy Idol
0: is heavier than that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, A lot of these old bands, I mean, well, lots of them, there's lots of pop sensibilities in those acts, but with a kind of like harder sort of rock sound. It's all very nicely produced, very big music with the same kind of focus on musicianship as prog rock, and it's all kind of happening at the same time. So very produced, heavy metal, very complicated, progressive rock. What happens in response to that? Uh, isn't it like, well, you've always said like punk or well, punk,
1: basically, right? Like really, like you say, garage garage rock. Punk is like the ultimate form of
0: garage rock. Yes, exactly. The the, the easiest thing to point at, at as the beginning of punk music is what?
2: Sex Pistols.
0: Yes, absolutely. Sex Pistols. They released Never Mind the Bollocks in 1977. And punk music is, you know, it's, it's DIY. It's do-it-yourself. Anyone can do it. The focus is no longer musicianship. Or experimentalism, necessarily. It's the message. It strips away all of like that classic rock and roll excess to provide something very lean, very stripped back, and very hard. Um, and that, that had been bubbling away in the background for a while. You know, We mentioned the Velvet Underground already, and they are what we would now call proto-punk. Uh, the Stooges, the Sonics, they all contributed in the late 60s to what became punk in the mid-70s. And the Sex Pistols and the Clash in the UK and Patti Smith and the Ramones in the US, uh, specifically New York, became a real sort of like, New York was a big punk town. Um, Punk, obviously, I don't need to tell you, I'm sure none of us are huge punk boys, Lucas. We know for a fact that you don't really get down with a lot of punk music, you know. Oh, well, that's your younger age, more. Yeah, sure. Um, In the sense, uh, I listen to Nevermind the Bollocks a lot and that was kind of it. Yeah, did you actually... Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's really interesting actually. I wouldn't have thought you would have. Because in case people don't know you, you like very clean, well produced, kind of pleasant to listen to music and Nevermind the Bollocks is not that. But then I suppose you were also a rebellious teenager. Well, so
1: yeah, I was a teenager, so I was like, I have to listen to Nevermind the Bollocks by Sex Pistols because, you know, I've got all the all the anti authoritarian stuff yeah, exactly. about, you know, mm. selling butter and being a racist. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I yes. love it. I love racist butter. I love racist um,
1: butter fucking twat. Whether
0: whether you like punk or not, uh, very important, very influential in both music and society at large. Incredibly necessary. Did not sell well at all. There are no like super successful punk bands until they stop becoming uh, punk. But it was incredibly well regarded by like. Artistic types uh, who then started to blend the ethos of punk with more of an eye towards interesting composition, more experimental and arty techniques, and slightly more commercial sounds. Crucially, and that's how you get Talking Heads, Devo, The Police, and Blondie in the late seventies, right? And that's referred to as the New Wave. You must have heard. You must have heard that term. Absolutely. Anyone who's listening to this, who's not familiar uh, with our podcast, Lucas and Steve don't know anything. Okay, that's why I'm taking them through this because they're absolute like dunces. I know everything. Uh, okay.
1: All of this is <laughs> nothing you said so far has been a surprise to me.
0: And the thing about Lucas uh, is that he thinks he knows everything. Yeah, <laughs> but, but he doesn't. <laughs> As pure punk gets heavier and then morphs into hardcore in the late 70s and early 80s, New Wave kind of morphs into, well, it morphs into and exists alongside post-punk, representing the more artistic and challenging nature of the music. Post-punk takes, again, that DIY ethos, and it brings in avant-garde sensibilities and non-rock influences, a bit like prog did, and it aims to break free from the big rock cliches it brings in jazz dance music electronic influences the production techniques of disco and it kind of speaks on ideas surrounding art and politics and critical theory and modernism and cinema and literature and we're thinking Susie and the banshees joy division and talking heads again um, they kind of straddle both the new <laughs> yeah. wave and the kind of like the post punk. They're, they're, they're very, they're very intertwined. The post punk and the new wave. Um, uh, a, a good, like someone told me this ages ago. I don't think it's strictly accurate, but a good way to do, like, if you want to get in your head, like, straight, like, what's post punk and what's new wave? Joy Division, post punk, New Order, new wave. Like, right, same okay. band, same band, except for one guy. Come from completely the same like ethos and place. Two very different kind of styles of music. Um, That's fair. That's fair. Post-punk, you know, it is and has always been an underground movement. Um, Bands break into the mainstream from post-punk mostly when they start abandoning the post-punk kind of style of music. The most famous post-punk band is U2. uh, Right, okay. There's like yeah. there's no way that they would be me and Steve okay, yep. are not famous at all as a band. Yeah, that yeah, one. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, n- no way that you would uh, necessarily associate you two with post punk if you only knew the music that they make these days. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's
2: like you were saying about punk earlier when they the the records that they weren't selling a lot of records because that's
0: punk. Mm-hmm. If you start selling records, that's not punk. That's not even punk, if it man. sounds
2: like punk. Yeah, yeah. It's not
0: very punk. <laughs> it's not very punk. It's not very punk to be successful or good at anything. Um, <laughs> am I punk? Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
2: very, very. That's punk great. Punk. Yeah, cool. <laughs> um,
0: and then we're not going to get too heavily into it because, of course, we're starting our journey in about 1978. But um, in the 80s, there was huge success for bands that blended pop sensibilities with that very early understanding of heavy music. We're talking Guns N' Roses, Def Leppard, and Bon Jovi. But in 1980 and 1981, which is about when REM started forming and releasing music, the most popular rock acts are Pink Floyd, Bruce Springsteen, Eagles, Rod Stewart, ACDC, The Police, Foreigner, and ELO. And so I put together like a little medley, which I like to do at the beginning of the seasons. And usually it's to be like, hey, here are all of the influences that this artist grew up with. Here's what they were listening to. This time it's to give you an idea of very broadly what popular rock music sounded like in the years around REM's formation. Okay, So if you were going to turn on the radio in 1980 or 1981 and you started going around the dial, it might have sounded a little something a little something <laughs> like this <laughs> uh, like this <laughs> two minutes or so a bunch of
1: absolute classics there yeah let's go
0: back in time (laughs) i mean
1: mean, broadly (laughs) speaking as well almost everything we just heard would be described as these days as classic rock
0: classic rock i think 60s 70s that is your classic rock kind of era you're just transitioning out of out of classic rock uh, in the era that we're in which is the beginning of the 80s um Just to very briefly run down what we played there, Another Brick in the Wall Part 2 by Pink Floyd, Hungry Heart by Bruce Springsteen, The Long Run by Eagles, Young Turks by Rod Stewart, Back in Black by ACDC, Don't Stand So Close to Me, The Police, uh, Waiting for a Girl Like You by Foreigner, and Don't Bring Me Down by Electric Light Orchestra. It would have been very easy for me, I think, to just pick a bunch of shite rock songs and be like, but look at what REM were doing instead. But I I like all of those songs. I'm not saying that popular rock music was bad, but I wanted to illustrate how outside of that mainstream REM were when they formed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Also, what was interesting to me when I listened to a lot of the rock music from that time, the rock music from the time. <laughs> when I listened to that really rock music. <laughs> but If you think about those clips, they kind of almost fall into two camps, which is like they were either embracing synth music or it sounded something like something from the 50s and the 60s like mainstream popular rock at that time was either obsessed with looking back towards classic rock or just morphing straight into like the synth pop music that was about to come and so i think when you listen to the stuff that i've just played and you compare it to the chronic town ep which we'll obviously talk about later remember that rem became the biggest band in the world because they were in many ways in direct contradiction to the mainstream that they were kind of born into um And I think also that's that's where they are in time. Uh, The musical, (laughs) (laughs) the musical landscape. uh, You know, uh, a time that that, that a band is formed is is an important part of its story. Um, And I think that when you're dealing with American acts, it's also important where they come from as well. And this is the first time we've done an American band with such a long career. Um, So let's talk about Athens, Georgia. It's kind of a classic big southern town and it's also a college town centered around a university that in the 1960s developed one of the best art schools in the southern in the southern states of america and that kind of led to not necessarily a clash but an interesting meeting of cultures between your blue collar you know southern americans and um uh, pretentious hippies, basically, uh, yeah. and, and it leads to like an interesting vibe in the town, where it's like mansions owned by old money, handed down from owners of plantations and people who benefited from slavery, and then working class Southern values, and also a huge party town filled with artists. Um, and I think it's also important to note that a lot of the nightclubs had not embraced rock music. There was folk blues jazz but there was no real space for rock bands in like 1978 which is about where we're talking about now or or thereabouts a few of those like arty types from the university in this in this college town they formed a band in the late 70s called the b-52s which i think you've probably heard the name before if you're not necessarily massively familiar with their music there wasn't really anywhere for them to play so they started playing in friends living rooms and at parties and that kind of started what became the athens music scene and would later come to include pylon and the tone tones and let's active and bands like that but the b-52s they they broke out and they started playing in places like new york and they started bringing awareness uh of, of some kind of of scene in Athens to an artistic hub like, like New York. And like, so New York, remember, that's where the Ramones and the Talking Heads are at this point. And, you know, Patty Smith, and it's, 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 it's a big deal. And it brought a lot of attention to that college town and the numerous bands that it was home to. And it became an unlikely cultural hub just kind of by brute force. Uh, and while all of that is happening, that we've just talked about from 1950s, you know, rock and roll. Right up to the Athens music scene of the late 70s, the eventual members of REM are being born and are growing up. Um, it was interesting to me. REM, considered a southern band from, you know, from Southern America, not one of them is originally from the South, like at all. Right. <laughs> like, so did they moved
2: move there for the university, or is that right?
0: Kind of, yeah. Like, uh, I think three of them did. I, look, at that age, you know, you've got to remember they're very young uh when they start this band i think they're like 20s maybe like early 20s you you're at you're at the whims of your family aren't you for kind of like a lot of the time before that so so bill berry for instance who who plays drums lovely he's 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 on he's on the ball he was born on july 31st 1958 in Minnesota, in a town called Duluth, uh, and the family moved to Wisconsin and Ohio before settling in. Uh, I think it's pronounced Mason in Georgia in like 1972 when Bill was 14. He went to high school there, which is where he met Mike Mills. Mike Mills, who plays bass guitar. Oh, incredible! Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take your answer as. Both Steve, bass guitar. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you both got it. It
2: I was playing off Lucas.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's just some of the classic chemistry we've got. Yeah. This podcast. Oh, guys, do you really like banter? No, not really. Okay. Uh, Mike Mills, born December 17th, 1958, uh, in Orange County, California. Um, but he was only six months old when the family moved to Mason in Georgia and his dad was in the army and performed in the Naval Aviation Choir and he performed on the Ed Sullivan Show. So Mike Mills, he grew up around music, especially harmonies, Steve, try and control yourself. Um, and then in high school, he and Bill formed a band which was at one point called Shadow Facts, like Gandalf's horse in Lord of the Rings. So fucking nerds. (laughs) Show them the meaning of haste by getting rid of the band name. (laughs) That's not bad. And I understand that now as well, because I'm also a fucking nerd. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that band was uh, short-lived uh, for both of them, and so they got some jobs, and they moved in together. And in 1978, at the age of 20, they moved to Athens in Georgia uh, together, where they studied at the University of Georgia. Um, Michael Stipe... Singer. Vocals. <laughs> yeah, no, <sorry>. Lovely, lovely. <laughs> yes, he, he's the singer of vocals, that's right. Yes, um, He's the youngest of the group. He he was born January the 4th, 1960, in Decatur in Georgia, and his dad was also in the military, um, and this resulted in lots of moving around while he was young. Lots of quite like similar places, though. Texas, Illinois, Alabama, West Germany. All of these very sort of similar places. Um, previous generations of his family were Methodist ministers. And so he was very much raised kind of in the faith. You know, he was, he was raised as religious. But he was quite shy and quite sickly. He suffered from scarlet fever and hypothermia in his young years. And as a teenager, he was turned on to punk music. Remember, we were just talking about punk music. Like like Blink-182 and stuff. Like Blink-182, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, He was turned on to that when he read an article uh, about the New York punk scene. And off the back of that, he bought Patti Smith's debut album, Horses. And he was a very shy but artistically inclined young man. and he, he struggled to make friends, so he became quite like he quite dependent on his on his family. Um, but his knowledge of punk music, because he picked it up earlier than most people did, it meant that he kind of he he became popular as others were turned onto it, which led him to become like quite popular and this new sort of outgoing personality emerged as he became more and more embedded in the punk scene and he took more and more drugs and then his family moved back to the Athens area and it just it just stops like he, he, he reverts back to being a shy kind of retiring like teenager um but he does get drawn in by that incredible art course uh, at, at the local university so he starts studying there and then Peter Buck is kind of a funny one he he plays guitar, guitar. Mm-hmm, lovely. Guitar, guitar. Yeah, he plays guitar, guitar. Um, he's the oldest of the group. He was born December 6th, 1956 uh, in Los Angeles, which is in California. And his story is actually really kind of uh, kind of interesting, and I think he embodies a lot about what the group is and what they go on to be. He kind of fell in love with pop music from an early age when his family moved to San Francisco, and he began listening to The Beatles, uh, The Monkeys, The Birds... <laughs> all the animals apparently yeah, yeah. uh and, and also the Supremes uh and he'd listen to them on this little transistor radio that he would like have under his like bed covers which is kind of that's um I think that's almost a memory that I shared uh last week right when I was talking about listening to R.M. for the first time and having that little boombox like in my bed yeah um and he lived in San Francisco so he grew up in this very artistic open and I suppose at the time you would say beatnik you know, happening uh, kind of place. A a, a cultural hub, one of those cultural hubs that we talked about. And then his family moves to Indiana before settling in Roswell in Georgia and that just stops. Right. Kind of similar experience to the one Michael Stipe had, just nothing. Uh, Peter Buck describes the town, uh, Roswell, Georgia, as all old dairy queens and guys in overalls with hay in the back of their battered pickup trucks poking through town and spitting tobacco juice on the sidewalk. Mm. gives you a nice little a little uh, insight into where he grew up. Um, yeah, but that infatuation with music continues, and he just buys stacks and stacks of records with any money that he gets. At some point, he gets hold of an album by the Velvet Underground. At some point he sees the New York Dolls live, who are kind of an infamous punk band. Um, and these things teach him that music does not need to be complicated or feature technical precision or overblown symphonics, that there is a power in simplicity and repetition. And I think if there's something you can pull out of the early REM stuff that we've listened to, it's simplicity and repetition. I think you can see that all over it. Um, He learned guitar, but he had nobody to play with. And then he moves to Atlanta, which is also in Georgia, and he studies at Emory University. And his dad warns him, two things, don't get married before you're 30 and avoid showbiz. And he had... No ambitions for showbiz anyway. He was very standoffish at college and did not take to a lot of the other musicians there. He said he kind of thought that they all seemed to want to be famous above all else. They all wanted to be rock stars rather than create good music, you know. And he gets heavily into that nascent punk scene with a Patti Smith show in Atlanta uh, that kind of convinced him that he was wasting his time in university. So after less than a year, he dropped out and just began hitchhiking around America. Uh, he he just did that for a couple of years, I think. Um, he eventually found his way back to Atlanta after a few years and was buying some punk records in Wuxtery Records, which is like a local sort of chain of record shops. Um, and at that point, he is just a complete fanatic about punk music. And he gets offered a job at the record store just based on his knowledgeable conversations with the owner that's so different time yeah in the 70s that's how you got a job (laughs) i can imagine that being your absolute dream oh mate if i could just talk to someone about music and they go would you want to come work in my record store then i'd go yes please yes please uh that's how you got it back then it wasn't just like can you work the till it was having music knowledge and enthusiasm um he managed to break into one of the first united states uh, sex Pistols shows and saw about two songs during which he was constantly moving around the room to avoid the bouncers that were after him and then he was <laughs> he was thrown out onto the street um and as part of his job at uh, watchery records he was then put in charge of arranging an atlanta show for a kind of a breaking band that were coming out of athens georgia the b-52s and he obliged and he loved them and they were like nothing else on the Atlanta scene. And they also brought with them a bunch of people from Athens. Because that's what you would do, right? Do you remember when you did out-of-town shows and you'd be like, right, how many people could I get from where I already live to travel with the band to go and see them in another town to make it look like we've got loads of fans? Yeah, you get um, little minibus hires and stuff like yeah, that, wouldn't you? and just exactly. literally
2: drag them with you.
0: Yeah, so they bust in a bunch of people from Athens and it was people that Peter Burke could get on with it was artists and musicians and you know all those pretentious hippies and so when his boss then asks him if he would like to transfer to an opening that they had in the Athens branch of Workstreet Records he immediately accepts he's all on board for that and he moves to Athens Georgia and when he's working there Buck sees this very withdrawn, softly spoken guy who comes in uh, to the record shop a lot with two very attractive girlfriends um, who actually turn out to be his sisters, uh, and that was Michael Stite. Um, And they they kind of bond... They bond over the records that Michael is buying from Peter uh, and over the records that Peter is then recommending to Michael. Um, And those records were like part of what we discussed before, punk and proto-punk, like Patti Smith, television, the Velvet Underground. And like he was basically, he was buying all of the records that Peter Buck would be holding back for himself, which I think is something that they kind of bonded over, but very shy. So so Buck tries to bring Michael Stipe out of his shell a little bit, and he invites him to drinks now and again. And as they talk more and more, and it turns out they share more and more music DNA, they start talking about forming a band together. and that leads to them also moving in together. Uh, they move in uh, with a friend, Kathleen O'Brien, into uh, the deconsecrated church, uh, St. Mary's Episcopal Church in Athens, which is, that's kind of a cool vibe, right? They, they ah. all just live in like this run-down old church, sleeping on mattresses <laughs> on the floor and stuff. Um, and then two people who also lived nearby and went to the University of Georgia were Bill Berry and Mike Mills and they lived together, and they had been obviously performing in bands together for a little while. And they kind of came as a pair. They were like already a reliable rhythm section. If you hired one, you hired the other kind of thing. And uh, Buck and Stipe met them both through Kathleen. Kathleen was in a not-very-serious band with Bill Berry and introduced Bill to Peter at a party, saying, Peter, you and Michael need a rhythm section, and Bill you need a serious band so peter and bill agree to meet uh and they also agree to bring mike and michael the mikes uh with them um and so they say hey let's make some music together they they kind of form a quartet with no big ideas behind it no real intention of forming like a permanent band no huge plans they're just getting together and they're going to play some music uh, and obviously, they eventually become one of the biggest bands in the world. Uh, that's that's just sort of how that happens, I guess. And that
2: band was?
0: R.E.M. Right, right yeah,
2: just so we're on the... But they're, yeah.
0: <laughs> but they're not called R.E.M. at that point. They, they rehearsed regularly for a few months in that deconsecrated, and did I mention haunted, church. Um, and at the time, they were trying to convince Mike Mills... To play guitar in the band because he was like really great at it like he was better than peter buck at at the guitar and so peter was going to learn bass instead but bill and mike were already such a tight rhythm section with you know that communication steve you were part of some rhythm sections it's very important you be like for a drummer to be able to communicate with their bassist right to lock in with the bassist you've got to have that chemistry exactly so uh it just didn't make sense to kind of split up bill and mike um So Peter ends up playing guitar and that kind of like not hugely technically proficient, very simple, economical style of guitar playing that didn't trend towards, you know, solos and showing off. Everyone loved it. It all just slotted together. It's worth noting that I think this is Peter Buck's first band. Um, He was like a bit older than the others. I think he's 23 at this point and I think we're talking about 1980. But he he had just waited for it to feel... Right, you know that there's a quote from him, uh, and he says, "I just figured that you'd meet the right people, then you'd get in a band, then you'd make the good music, and people would come and see it." I didn't realize that most people spend their entire lives trying to find the right combination, and it doesn't work. I didn't realize until a year later that, gee, this is kind of special. We never even tried anyone out. We were two separate camps. We basically walked in and said, "Hi, how are you doing?" Picked up our instruments, and two days later, we were a band. Uh, so it really just it just clicked. He did well, didn't he? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Yeah, um, <laughs> they they play their first show on April the fifth, nineteen eighty, and it's at Kathleen O'Brien's birthday party that is held in that church that they're all that well that that Peter and Michael are, are living in, and they did some originals, but also mostly covers from the sixties and the seventies. And now Kathleen was very popular in town. She had her own local radio show. And Peter was kind of equally as popular, but with a bit of a different crowd. And so it's estimated... I mean, there's a lot of numbers going around. But I think the middle ground is about 400 people showed up to the party at the church. Oh, wow. Yeah. About 125 were invited. Right. <laughs> and... Four hundred people turned up to an abandoned church to see some no, bands. I can relate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You just can't keep people away from your annual birthday parties, can you? An abandoned ab- church. An abandoned haunted church. Yeah. Also, yeah, yeah. aren't all churches
1: haunted because you know there's the spirit of Christ there? That's, That's a good an excellent point. point. That's an <laughs> yeah, excellent point. You're
0: completely right, Lucas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there were people at that party, and I haven't finished connected yep. to the burgeoning Athens music scene including the owner of 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 the club Tyrone's in Athens who, who they had just really started to book like rock musicians and rock bands but everybody in the crowd kind of saw the this, this kind of special thing that the last band of the evening kind of had together and so that owner of Tyrone's he needed an opening act for a rock band uh from atlanta who were coming into athens to play he needed someone to open the show for him um and that rock band from uh, from atlanta rather they also had quite good connections to the atlanta music scene so it was going to be kind of like a gig that was worth turning up to you know and he told that band that were on last at that party which comprises of course of peter buck bill berry mike mills and michael stipe if you can come up with a name then you can have the slot okay at, at the show okay so they needed a name um here are the ones they considered. I'd, I'd just like a yes or no on what you think of these, okay?
2: I think I know one. Cans of piss. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Lucas
0: is on board. Negro eyes. No. 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 We're, we're, we're fully no on no. Negro <laughs> eyes, yeah. okay? Um, twisted kites. No. Not bad though. In, in kind of like, if you think about the music that they end up making, "Twisted Kites"
1: is not bad. Ah, uh, but I think of "Twisted." I know that obviously, like the kite is all twisted up. But I also think of like
0: "Twisted," "Twisted,", like, like, twisted. I'm yeah, doing the horns yeah, and I'm yeah. the Joker. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what about this this one though? "Slut Bank." Big yes, <laughs> <laughs> big yes on "Slut Bank." I mean, I think "Twisted Kites" is the best. Ba- I mean, it's it's fascinating to me, like knowing where REM go. I don't think they ever would have got there if they were called Cans of Piss. Do you know? What I mean? <laughs> <No>? <laughs> like, there's no way. Headlining Glastonbury this year, Cans of Piss. Um, but you have got to remember, punk sensibility. They're they're for all intents and purposes a punk band here. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, they couldn't come up with anything. They start to just put a pin in a dictionary to see what would come up, and eventually they settled on REM. That's it. Uh, as we mentioned last week, in sleep science, that means rapid eye movement. For the band, means absolutely nothing. It means less than nothing. Just REM. That's it. Well, what do we think of the band name REM? Is it shit? It might be shit, but also it's so synonymous with exactly. one of the biggest bands in the world that you're yeah. like, well, it must be good, right? I mean, we talked about this when we did, when we did
1: Radiohead, but like, you can't really be objective
2: on it because Radiohead yeah. just means Radiohead. Radiohead. Yeah. And it's the same sort of thing. It's like being called PTO. Like for please turn over, but it's not please turn over. We're yeah. just PTO. Pa- paid time off. But
0: that is worse than REM, isn't it? Yeah, but that's because it's REM. I don't know. REM sounds. REM
1: good. does like roll off the tongue better because it's obviously like. <laughs> RBM.
2: That's, that's not as good. <laughs> well, of course it's
1: not because it's
0: not
2: REM. It's <laughs> I mean, a
0: compelling argument, actually. Yeah, yeah, compelling argument. They were um, called GED. No, it doesn't roll off the tongue at all. No, it's not anything. Yeah, REM. It's, I think it's. it's kind of great in kind of how nothing it is do you know what i mean yeah but also there's that level of mysteriousness about it what does it mean maybe it doesn't mean anything maybe it means everything i think that that's that whole what does it mean maybe it means everything maybe it means nothing is rem's primary sort of function in like the first 10 years of their career like Stipe's lyrics, the the kind of experimental touches that they put on their music, the way that they operate. They're a mysterious band, you know. Um, They play at the Coffee Club, which is their official debut, and it gets shut down by the police for being too bloody rowdy. Um, (laughs) But everybody could tell that they were just sort of... uh, The reports at the time, it's just everyone went, they're just incredible. They're offering something new. They're offering something fresh. And then that gig at Tyrone's comes around. And there was this band called Pylon um, who were well-regarded in in the Athens music scene. And and they played at Tyrone's uh, sometimes. And they draw in around 100 people each time. That's decent. Imagine being a local band and drawing 100 people to come and see you. Um, Lovely. REM was supporting that band that were coming from Atlanta. The big headlining act. Um, REM drew in 350 people and most of them left before the main act came on. Wow. They were like uh, a a sensation. Uh, I showed you a picture of REM uh, 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 weeks before this season, Lucas, and you said, who's that swatty little nerd on the end? Uh, (laughs) And that swatty little nerd was Mike Mills. And uh, Mike Mills, uh, who is a swatty little nerd, said... It is generally acknowledged that we blew them away when talking about the, the headline act on the yeah. on the that night, which I think is a nice way of putting that. Um, they had this kind of weird swaggering confidence that was kind of bordering bordering on arrogance to them, uh, and and I, I guess of course they did because everything that I've said just happened uh, happened within the space of a month, right. And they now spearhead this kind of Athens music scene, which is now prominent enough that a new club is opened in Athens called the 40 Watt, and it held 75 people. And REM packed it every single time that they played. And the band starts gathering more and more momentum and all four members drop out of school to pursue it. Uh, they, they start playing further and further outside of their hometown. They start supporting prestigious punk acts in Atlanta. And they just have this insane energy to them live. There's, all of them are like moving all of the time. And, and Michael Stipe is channeling Elvis and Mick Jagger. And, you know, this is someone who was incredibly shy a lot of the time, but just kind of came alive on stage. And there's someone who worked in a record store in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which is two states over from Georgia, saw an REM performance and was so impressed that he moved to Athens and became their manager. Um, His name is is Jefferson Holt. Uh, And they very quickly became the biggest band in Athens, which meant that a bunch of other bands in Athens turned on them. Uh, And one aspect of why I think is crucial to REM, some of the other artier bands felt that REM were kind of lowering the standard a bit because when r e m played they would also cover pop songs and these pop rock songs and like staples like hippy hippy shake and rave on and stuff and playing covers especially like classic crowd pleasing covers was looked down on because it wasn't cool right and it wasn't it wasn't hip and yet you couldn't park in downtown athens when r e m were playing And that's because people were getting lured in by these songs that they knew and they loved, but were being played in this different way. And then they'd get to know the originals too. And nobody was really doing what R.E.M. was doing at that moment, kind of blending the old classics with a new sound. And everyone was just kind of like hyped for it. And, 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 And R.E.M.'s own songs at that time were sort of like very fast, very simple, usually anti-love songs or they were admonishing war you know they were quite political and they begin touring all over the southern united states they're traveling in this old van which is driven by jefferson holt Uh, they live on a food allowance of two dollars a day each and they have a pretty rough time of it there was no infrastructure for that because there was no scene for what they were doing which we now know to be an alternative rock scene i guess But also they're playing post-punk in a way. And post-punk bands didn't play in the southern United States for the most part. Um, One reason being that they didn't kind of fit into the established scene. Uh, But also because the venues in the South were quite old school in the late 70s and and early 80s. They're like bars, you know. And so you didn't do, you didn't have a half-hour support slot with then another band doing an hour headline you had one band that was the entertainment for the whole evening and you'd do three 1 hour sets across the whole night you know you're like a you're like a bar band yeah that sounds,
1: exa- that sounds exhausting
0: yeah and 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 so you know the the mainstream rock artists were playing in arenas or like you know rock clubs you know, lots of leather and long hair, you know, and, and there were also, there were discos for other types of music and there were small punk venues starting to crop up, but nothing for the kind of music that R.E.M. was playing. So they did the bars. They did the bars that demanded three one-hour sets each night because they had the repertoire for it. They had, you know, they could cover all of those classic songs that people loved. And yes, they were playing fast post-punk music but they did it with such enthusiasm that even like the conservative audiences kind of like warmed up to them and and, you know more and more people would come every time they would revisit a town and they also came with that kind of arrogance that meant that they would argue with promoters and go no no no, we're not actually just your standard entertainment band actually we're not going to do three one hour sets we're going to do two sets of 45 minutes with encores and you're gonna just like it. And that was it. Okay. And they did because they'd bring in the crowds. Yeah. And nobody was doing it like R.E.M. uh, around that time. And eventually, you know, a little bit in the future, not part of the story that we're telling at the moment, the venues that R.E.M. played in and the routes that they would take to tour them would be used by other alternative rock bands. So R.E.M. kind of forged the way. They lay down that touring blueprint for a lot of other rock bands. And a year after their first show, so we're in April 1981, the band recorded their first single. It was recorded at Drive In Studio in Winston-Salem in North Carolina with the producer Mitch Easter. And it was called Radio Free Europe. And so we'll hear it and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> on that well straight out the gate it sounds like rem sounds quite a lot like rem Mm -hmm. yeah all cans of piss uh yeah (laughs) um but but it has it's
2: definitely got that more post-punk thing Obviously, the wrong genre haven't i no it's definitely got that post-punk tinge to it you can see it's a lot more like you used
0: the wrong genre there uh, because I think, <laughs> I think that no, no, no. it's, it's difficult to, it's difficult to call them. It's difficult. To, ah, this is difficult, right? Because you can say, oh, uh, you know, they've got that post-punk kind of sound. They are the post-punk kind of sound, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know. what
2: uh, Yeah, I guess so. It, what, but it, it sounds like R.E.M. But Raw, which makes sense because it's their first ever single. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's got that very jangly guitar, the drums. The drums may be a little bit heavier. Maybe they're, they're this is the, still
0: the, uh, clinical, though, I would say. Very
2: clinical. Maybe this is the one and only time he has his hi-hat slightly open. Maybe that's it. Um, <laughs> and Stipe's vocals haven't kind of evolved into that twang he kind of gives, that voice, you know, like, corner. He's not doing that as much. But it, it's really pretty fully formed, isn't it?
0: Kind of. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, all, all of the stuff that we talked about, like when I said, like, oh, watch each of the members for what they're doing. You got the clinical drums. The guitar is very simple, but like it's giving a lot of melody. The bass is giving a lot of melody, you know? Um, and Michael Stipe's vocals, indecipherable. Oh, everything we're going to talk about today is. Oh, yeah. yeah
1: indecipherable. Well, uh, Lucas, I,
2: can I read you a quote from a journalist or an author? I can't remember which, which it was. Um, This song features what were to become, the trademark unintelligible lyrics which have distinguished REM's workspace ever since. So basically, we've got an entire season
0: of this. I said this last week. You're (laughs) never going to know what he's saying, ever. I
2: I can hear,
3: (laughs) everybody
2: I know
0: what he's saying there. I can understand a word of that. (laughs) Sometimes. One times. Uh, But you can't, (laughs) like, you you, you can kind of distinguish radio-free Europe. In yes. the in the chorus. Radio Free,
1: yeah, free yeah. <laughs> I
3: literally
1: made a I literally made a note of that, and I think that is literally just because it's the title of the song it's the title yeah yeah.
0: there's so many because we're going to talk about the chronic town ep as well loads of those songs i know bits of lyrics because it's the title yeah like when he goes gardening at night i can i know that because it's called gardening at night that's the only bit of that song i know i
1: mean i mean i mean it's it's interesting that steve said it sounds like rem because obviously i'm much less familiar with what rem sounds like but even i said the chorus sounds like rem yeah it does yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean really that is does. good, isn't it? Because it is the yeah. R.E.M. season. But I mean, but yeah, I'm, but I know what you mean. I mean, this song and um, I mean, pretty much everything else that we're going to cover today does still suffer that thing for me of just like, yeah, it sounds like a you know like a ropey demo made by a, like a really new band that's you know I had a very similar reaction right to early Radiohead, early Muse, early
0: manix, Billy didn't really have that. But can I can I just talk to you about something there, which is that. Those other examples you gave were all recorded ten to fifteen years later than this. The reason that this sounds like this is because it was recorded in the late 70s and early eighties. Alternative rock bands didn't sound like this. No, they but, all did. They but all I'm
2: not
1: sounded even I'm like not this. even talking about <laughs> the, 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 oh, yeah. the song. Oh, yeah.
2: I'm just talking about like how lo-fi
0: and sort of shit it sounds like. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. If if you listen to the like the Bruce Springsteen records of the seventies they're pretty lo-fi compared to what we're used to today. You know, all, everything's recorded to tape. There's no computers anywhere to be seen in any, in any studios. You know, it's all bands playing in a room and then a few overdubs. You know, it's, it's all lo-fi. Um,
2: this is the earliest we've covered, right?
0: Yeah, this is the earliest we've covered. The Beatles yeah. kind of sounds like shit. Do you
2: know but what then, I mean? Like,
0: it sounds lo-fi.
2: Oh, I don't know. Is it, is it just because they're
1: lo-fi in terms of quality of equipment but they're still i don't know because like all those songs you played right and in, in your medley uh, mm. sounded better than this in terms of
0: yes quality, that's true if you know what i mean but all of those things that i played you in the medley have like millions of dollars behind them do you know what i
1: mean valid
0: whereas this is what recording studios you know small recording studios in the 80s sounded like so it's. I don't think it's a... I suppose it. it is kind of the same as the Mannix thing because they're at a level where they're like, well, this is what we can afford at the moment. Like, this is the best that we can do. Um, but we'll talk about that for the EP because I think the EP is actually even slightly better produced than this, I think. There's there's a bit more going on on that EP. This is very much kind of like a straight... Is it a straight performance of it? I don't know. It's 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 fast and it's it's quite punk. It's quite yep. punk, but you can kind of dance to it, I think. It has a kind of disco sort of esque thing going on with the drums. I might be wrong, yeah. Steve. Steve's going yeah. like a mental.
2: No, no, no. It's it's the thing it's the thing that uh which which member was talking about the way that he plays drums. He doesn't he tends to not play the hi-hat at the same time as the um snare, which gives a kind of disco feel. If you can imagine me going but faster. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's we'll, got do faster, we'll do it faster. We'll do it. Let's do it faster.
0: I don't understand it now. Yeah, no, that sounds. Bad. I understood it when he was doing it. Yeah,
2: Rather than
1: can you play it faster but slow it down? No. Okay. Do
0: no. <laughs> no. 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 Beyond his capabilities. No. And no again. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, it has that kind of this is the thing that REM do remember i was saying like they covered those classic 60s rock songs but they put like they also did like their new spin on it this has a kind of 60s mod kind of feel to it it also has a bit of a 60s psychedelic kind of feel to it but also that very fiercely it was it felt very fiercely modern and kind of in line with punk and and post punk and i mean yeah it's difficult to use post-punk there but but it, it's it's it, it's like those blending of the two things you know the modern and, and and the stuff that had come before there's a classic rock lineage that you can hear in it that probably comforted a lot of people but it's but it basically been put through a fucking blender because it sounds really sharp it sounds sounds like hot metal this album uh, this this single do you know what i mean do you know what i mean by that no, i know what you mean not, not so- heavy metal Hot Not metal. heavy metal. Hot metal. It's just like yeah. it's. Fucking I know what you mean. Razor sharp. you mean, do you mean sharp, like kiss?
1: Like they're metal, but they're all they're all really hard. You know?
0: No, it's like razor sharp.
2: It's,
1: just it's like
0: sharp. Hot. It's a. It's like a bird with a long sharp beak. You
2: know. Yes, it's that's just, what it sounds like. like. yes. Mm-mm-mm. Yes. You know, I mean? you know when Robin, just, you know the uh, you know the cartoon of Robin Hood when he dresses up as a stork to enter the yeah. uh, archery competition. That's what this song sounds like. That's what it sounds
0: like. Uh, yeah. But, but it, it it just it it sounds like uh it's. Punk, punk, like, like Sex Pistols punk music, like that, it's all very distorted and kind of imprecise. This is played with the energy of punk, but it's all clean. Like there's yeah, no distortion yeah. on this or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's it's just it's so it's sharp, it's razor sharp. Um, <laughs> to, yeah, to, to yeah. Still <laughs> still yeah, 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 yeah. What <laughs> uh, to, to begin with? It was it was just distributed as like a two-song demo to venues and magazines and record labels. But then, in July 1981, it was released as a proper single on the independent record label Hib Tone, which was uh, based in Athens, Georgia. And Hib Tone had only been running very briefly, and this was their first release. Um, and uh, the owner, Johnny Hibbert, he kind of became involved after the first recording of the song. And then he did his own mixing session with the band and doubled some guitars and they added some, like, ethereal backing vocals. And the band were kind of up for those, like, experimentations. And then Mitch Easter, who recorded the first session, kind of felt... It was a bit, that mix was a bit muddier, it was a bit worse, and, and then suggested doing his own third mix of it that was somewhere between the two, which is the version that we have. And I think you can hear all those little experiment, all those experimental vocal bits. They're all in there. You can hear, like, back-masked stuff and Stipe doing dual vocals. It's a slightly more experimental record than you're, like, maybe led to think by just how efficient that chorus and, and those verses are. Um right. So the dual vocals is both Stipe. It's not one of the other guys just doing back and forth. Yes, it's it's Stipe and Stipe. Um, It was was backed with a B-side called Sitting Still, which we will cover another time. Uh, And they pressed 1,000 copies of it. 600 of them were sent out as promo copies and the other 400 copies sold out very quickly and so they pressed another 6,000 copies of it due to popular demand. Not a huge number, we're not talking Billie Eilish or you know even like REM in their pomp sort of numbers but for the first single released by a label which is also the first thing ever released by that band 7,000 copies is pretty popular. It's not bad. I'd love to sell 7,000 copies of anything, anything. this. Yeah, yeah, just anything. Anything. Um but it, it it was big enough that it got noted, uh, it got noticed and and it was later listed in the top 10 best singles of the year by the New York Times. Okay? Wow. So they were, that you know. That is a mainstream yeah. like stamp of approval that is. It really is, yeah, and to come so early in their career as well. Um just before they released it as a single, they started thinking very seriously about the legal side of their band. Uh, other bands called REM, or Rapid Eye Movement, had started to crop up here and there. Um, and actually, they bumped into Bertis Downs, which was their, their law student friend from Athens who, who had been at that first Tyrone show. And they said, oh, would you mind looking over this contract? And he advised them that basically they would be signing away ownership of the music and the publishing rights. And he said, one day... You're going to sell a million records and that would be a problem. So he just had unerring faith that this band were going to be like a big deal. So much faith that he works for them for free uh, and helps them set up Night Garden Music, which is their own publishing agency. If you look at everything, it's published through Night Garden Music uh, in those early days, which is very savvy, you know, uh, a young band in the early 80s to be like, no, we're going to retain our publishing rights, you know. Yeah. That's how you avoid having to re-record your entire back catalogue of songs, I suppose, <laughs> like, like Taylor Swift is doing. On today's episode, I'd like to talk to you about Buzzsprout, the user-friendly podcast hosting for non-techie people. I think that if this podcast has achieved anything, it's showing that literally anybody can start a podcast. Do you need any previous experience? No. Do you need top-of-the-range audio equipment? No. No. Do you need entertaining or insightful content? Absolutely not. But there is one thing that you will need, and that's podcast hosting. Or somewhere to store your podcast and deliver them to all of those podcast places, like the one where you're listening to this now. So if you're thinking about starting a podcast, just do it. We here at Big Mates Enterprises use Buzzsprout to host and publish our podcast because it's the best and easiest way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed on all the major podcast directories within minutes of finishing your recording. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, CastBox, Pocket Casts, Podbean, Podcast Addict. The list goes on and on. The other thing we've found is that not only do you get useful and easy to understand statistics about how well your podcast is doing, but also that the support team is super helpful with somebody always on hand to answer questions and help our podcast succeed join over one hundred thousand podcasters already using buzzsprout to get their message to the world and you'll get a great looking podcast website audio players that you can drop into other websites detailed analytics to see how people are listening tools to promote your podcasts and much much more but wait because the more is now (laughs) because if you follow the link in our show notes when you sign up it lets buzzsprout know that we sent you and do you know what that gets you $20 worth of credit when you sign up for a paid plan and that warm feeling in your stomach knowing that not only are you on your way to podcast greatness, but that you've helped support this show too. So if you're starting your podcast or you're looking to move your podcast, use Buzzsprout and follow our link in the show notes. Back to the episode. Uh, In October 1981, they bloody team up with Mitch Easter again to record an EP Uh, And they record an album's worth of material. And they planned to release it on a new label that's called Dashed Hopes. Dashed, spelt D-A-S-H-T. But IRS Records had got hold of a copy of one of the band's early recording sessions with Mitch Easter that had kind of been circulating as a bootleg for a little while. Um, IRS Records had been founded a few years earlier in 1979 by Miles Copeland III, Jay Boberg and Carl Grosso. Um, I don't know if the surname Copeland rings any bells to you. It does, but kind I don't know of, what from. I Kind know. of already come up on this episode. Kind of, in a way. So Miles Copeland III, he had been instrumental in the punk and new wave boom in the UK in the mid to late 70s. He was the manager for the police. And the bassist was Miles' brother. Stuart Copeland is the bassist of... That's a name I recognise. Yes. Um, Jay Boberg had been working on the first US tour for the police after booking successful US tours for Peter Gabriel and Talking Heads. Uh, And that's how uh, Miles Copeland III and Jay Boberg met um, and brought in Carl Grosso to set up IRS records. So they have some pedigree in being at the forefront of a music scene that the members of REM both like and are involved in. So when they show interest in signing R.E.M., R.E.M. turned down an offer from R.C.A. Records. I don't know if you've heard of R.C.A. Records. Um, They're kind of a major... Record label that had been going since 1902. They had invented and (laughs) developed the records that played at 33 and a third RPM. It was one of the biggest record labels in the world. They originally signed Elvis Presley, and they founded HMV. I don't know if you know these guys. It's those guys. And so instead of instead of siding with RCA Records, they signed with the smaller, more bespoke, and crucially, much much cooler IRS Records. And that, that the IRS process, are very cool, I mean. They're very cool. We love the IRS. Please don't audit us. Uh, they wouldn't, that, we
2: don't, we're not an American What? Yeah, that wouldn't. We're we're not an American company. Oh, because
0: all of our accounts are on the Cayman Islands. Yes, of course, exactly. they can't. They are not Untouchable. Yeah, and even though <laughs>
1: Patreon's an American service, I've done all the forms, so it's fine. Lovely. <laughs> oh, you've done all the forms? Great. Lovely, <laughs> lovely. you done all the forms, again, linked back to the Cayman Islands. <laughs> okay, yeah, of
0: course. So even though they recorded the EP um, over a single weekend... In 1981. Uh, that process of being signed and releasing it takes a little while. So, Chronic Town is released on August the 24th, 1982. It's five tracks and 20 minutes long. It's a good length. It's good a length. Good yeah, length. Yeah, it's a good length. It's produced by Mitch Easter and R.E.M. So, right from the beginning, they are involved in the production of their music. The artwork is done by Curtis Knapp, R.A. Miller and Michael Stipe. And right from the beginning, he's involved in the visual aspects of the band. Um, the artwork, just while we're on it, it's a blue gargoyle poking out its tongue. Um, yeah. I don't think it's the exact one, but it seems similar to Stryger, which is a gargoyle from the Notre Dame. Um, the Hunchback of Notre uh, Dame? That's right. You just said the Notre Dame? <laughs> yeah.
1: <What? laughs> do you mean, do you, and by the Hunchback of Notre Dame, do you mean the Disney one? Do you know what the Notre Dame is? Yeah, the the the, the, the building. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know there's like a famous gargoyle. I actually genuinely thought you meant like from a film or the. Th- oh, oh. You know, no,
0: there's loads of famous gargoyles on the Notre Dame. They're in the Hunchback of Notre Dame.
3: <laughs> oh, they're
1: based <laughs> off of real famous gargoyle. I mean, guess yeah. what?
0: There's probably not anymore because it got destroyed. Uh, no, I've been there. They're still there. They are still there, and one of them is Stryger. Um and we talked about Southern Gothic on the first episode, and REM's place in that kind of vibe, or the like, the use of adjacent imagery. Yes, this is maybe the first indication yeah. of that, and I think it's quite striking. I really like the blue gargoyle guy on the cover poking out his little tongue.
2: I think it's a bit cheeky, actually, and I, I don't. I won't. I won't have it. Actually, I don't. know. Okay. <laughs> annoying. I, I will stand it? for that. Yeah. <laughs> B- <bleh>. No. <laughs> It's the fact that he's got his hands, his, his chin rested on his hands as well. He's, he's too casual and too cheeky, but he is horny because, because he's got of the horns. horns on his head. Yeah, yes, I'm yes, describing, yes. The horns. and you're describing yes, the horns. The yes, horns. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Right.
1: Yeah, of course. You could say you, you could say he's a horny devil. No, you could say, devil. say that. He's yeah. a gargoyle. Could, a devil? Did actually. Yeah, he's a gargoyle. Yeah. A devil? Do you know?
0: I don't think he's technically a gargoyle, Striker. You'd have to look it up. I don't think he's technically a gargoyle. I think he's something else. Uh, but I couldn't remember off the top of my head what it's called. Um, anyway, it was the EP was recorded over one weekend in October 1981, and it was decided they would do an EP, even though they had more material than that first single would suggest, but Jefferson Holt, who's their manager at the time, did not feel that they were ready to go straight to an album. Um, also, initially, they weren't sure they were going to work with Mitch Easter again, but but Mitch Easter eventually convinced Holt and the band that, that he could do it. They weren't, like, hashing out material in the studio. They had the songs already written, uh, but Easter was, was a fan of electronic music, like craft work and stuff, and that inspired him to play around with... Tape loops and and other sonic experiments like Steve. This will be obviously very close to your heart. He would record Michael Stipe singing outside, for instance. You know, cool like production techniques like like that. by a a bus shelter, like by a bus stop or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, The band were very like into that kind of experimentalism uh, and learned how to kind of like use a a studio very quickly during those those initial sessions. Um, The EP. What were your first impressions and and, and what does it kind of sound like to you?
1: It just kind of sounds like that. I mean, I know obviously it's very easy to be, to discount it when actually, like we say, music didn't sound like this because of what you showed us earlier. But it does still sound very like a a new up and coming, you know, local lo-fi band knocking out an EP in a studio and it sounds kind of, you know a
0: bit shit well that's very interesting i i i uh i briefly played you a snippet of one of the songs from this one when we finished recording the last episode you've since had like three weeks to listen to it i would like to quote you lucas because you did give me a very initial first impression from listening to like 30 seconds you said sounds like a shitty p recorded by a shit band <laughs> <laughs> Now, I mean, you mean it sounds like a very early work by a band, something a teenage band like that we knew would have recorded or something, yeah, exactly. right? Exactly. Like, like, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised to hear it down the
1: Joiners, right? Right. Which is a uh, music but- venue in our hometown of Southampton, just for anyone yeah. confused. Uh, but, yes, obviously it's very easy to say that now in 2023 when, at the time, the you know, it doesn't sound anything like the load of songs you just
0: played us, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's what's yeah, yeah, available, yeah. really. And I would like to return to that idea that it was recorded in 1981. You know, there are uh, you know, there are bands recording their first EP in 1981. You know, yeah, you, I am you can, still thinking about the nineties. I'm
1: still I'm always in the nineties yeah, mode. You're you know, always in the nineties because we're always, always covering well because yeah. we're always covering the nineties, and so I'm
0: just thinking like, oh, this is like '93 or something. It's not at all. But I think they had a mind towards production and how things that would sound because c- I think this sounds better than. The early Muse recordings, it sounds better produced than that. It sounds better produced than New Art Riot EP by Manic Street Preachers, you know. It's not on the same level as those two things. Maybe it's just the, I mean,
1: New Art Riot, I agree, sounds shit. I I don't seem to remember the the Radiohead EP was enormously impressive to me. The Muse one, I guess the difference is the style of music they're playing was so raw, you know. It's just like riffs that it's very easy to cut through in like a garage rock thing. Because you go, oh, I recognise the riff they're playing. And that's kind of.
0: It, right, but that is what REM are. They're a garage rock band to a degree. Here, you know. Yeah.
2: Uh, I'm going to say what this sounds like, and you're going to laugh at me. It's just going to be
0: the catchphrase of the fucking no season. Okay, no, no,
2: no, because this is very serious. <laughs> yeah, it sounds bright and dark. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> so it just sort of sort of dimly lit. Then grey. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, that's
2: <sounds> grey. Yeah, <laughs> it's very clean and bright sounding. But it sounds dark.
0: (laughs) Look, man. You know, it's
2: a bit spooky.
0: It's got some
2: spooky things going on.
0: That's REM, man. Like, for me, REM come out of the blocks fucking sprinting. Yeah. For me, this is one of the best things we've ever covered on the podcast. Uh, This is what REM sound like. This is what REM represent. This is what REM are. See, I actually... EM. And
1: I don't want to be too too negative, and I don't want to sound like I'm coming into this season with a bad attitude. But I do have a note here saying, if Adam considers this classic REM, and what REM sound like, we might be in trouble.
0: If if you do not get on board with this, and I've got this written down, if you do not get on board with this, you are going to struggle for the first five or six albums. Look forward to that. Uh, Me.
2: I'm... Not as strongly on board as Adam Tain, this is one of the best things we've ever covered, but this is 100% the best debut uh, yeah. piece from someone. Again, can't really count Billy because that's like an album of songs that released over a certain amount of time. As a compact, this is our first release. This is
0: great. Yeah, this is, yeah. I mean, this is just, this is R.E.M. It's, it's, it's up-tempo but it's also got that kind of dark mystery it's like a very mysterious some kind of feeling ep um didn't really sound like many other things that were happening at the time it it's really great at communicating the energy that the band have i think and i think it maybe it does sound a bit rough maybe it does sound a bit lo-fi but you can tell it's very deliberately produced that way like even though it's very rough it's also very tasteful it's not rough in a this is unpleasant to listen to yeah. kind of way. You know what I mean? It's not the new Art Riot EP. It's not those early Muse recordings where you can't hear some of the bits for the tape hiss. You know what I mean? Um, and that that rough, raw, almost punk energy is then offset by these incredible melodies that I think are very interesting and also kind of super catchy. And like if if we talk about vocals, just talk about vocal melodies for a little bit, um, Stipe has this style where he will kind of rest on one note for whole lines. Sometimes whole verses will just be like, uh, just like one note. So it's very horizontal rather than vertical, which I know we've talked about in the past. But then that is used to then make the choruses just kind of like leap out at you. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think it shows a huge amount of range on the EP. But I also think that as a twenty-minute demonstration of what the band are—a twenty-minute burst of energy—I uh, think it's, I think it's very, very successful. Yeah, for sure. So, Lucas, before we get into going like track by track, if you can just kind of like broadly, rather than just like saying like, oh, I just don't like it or like it's just not very good or whatever, what is it that you think you're not responding to here? I think part of it is, well, part of it's just production,
1: right? That is definitely production. You're a production boy. We know I'm a production boy, right? I'm a big production boy. Um, I also just think, uh, despite the fact that I don't care about lyrics, how inaudible it is, maybe, is because I can't even get onto like bits, if you know what I mean. It's, it is literally like just might as well be singing in gibberish. And I also think that thing that you said about like horizontal. Vocal melodies. I think some of that definitely has an effect because, like that, like is that's just a flat, that's just a straight line. If you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, yes, the verses. I mean, yeah, the choruses and all of these. And I, that's why on a, quite a few of these, I put, I've got the same comment, which is the choruses sound like R.E.M. Yeah,
3: There's that maybe <laughs> the
1: choruses are where they shine, but those verses are quite. I mean, I keep using that example because that's what we just listened to, and it's because i can also remember it whereas the verses of some of these other ones i'm about to listen to i can't remember until i'm about to hear them and then i'll they'll they'll jog my memory like
0: sure yeah yeah, that's because they're not standing out if you know what i mean um so what we got we've got not not produced kind of like cleanly that's a big that's big lucas repellent something not being produced cleanly I was not necessarily expecting you to bring up can't hear the lyrics. To be honest, no. But even like,
1: you know, even I'm not a lyric boy though. Like, there's nothing right. I can't even get onto bits. If you know what I mean, it, it, it might as well just be singing in Welsh.
2: A really good uh, example. I'm gonna get the name of the song wrong. Of him just holding that note for the verse until the melodic chorus is. It's the end of the world as we know it. The one where he just goes, but that's like, like 100... really
1: catchy and fun and good and cool. You're, doing, you're
0: doing the melody of We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel, which yeah, it's nice is like you know, really oh, <laughs> same same, same song. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I know it's fine. Okay. G- yeah. yeah, it is and but that's got some pep to it. I don't know, it's like like, like that song, great song. When we get to that it That sounds
0: exactly like a lot of the songs See, on this EP.
1: I don't yeah. feel like it does. I feel like there's more
2: just more fun to be had on songs like that. There's more meat and sinew on those bones in that one.
1: And then the choruses are more... I think everything's just a better version of what this is, if you know what I mean. I mean, I'm basing that mm. off the handful of songs I'm familiar with, bear in mind. Um, but those that I am familiar with, just, yeah, everything just sounds like a, a more elevated version of that. Because you're right, Steve. That is an example of a very horizontal verse.
0: It's yeah. one note. He, he, does it, he does it for his whole career. And then the choruses when he goes, "It's
1: the end of the world." Is it, is it, it gets, fair
2: to judge uh, an initial EP based on songs they create further down the line as a more successful band? No,
1: but um, valid. No, but, but you know. But I do know they're there. And, and what I mean is, in terms of the thing of Adam saying, like, "Well, maybe you will struggle." Then there's a, the, the the bunch of RM songs that I do know. I think are all good songs. You know, I don't think they're. Mm. I'm not like I'm going. Oh yeah, and I also have heard like. Everybody hurts and it's shit. The,
2: like these not. are a, a much more raw version of, of what you end up the, the songs you respond to. And I more. don't, you know, unlike so, Eddie Murphy, I, mean,
1: I don't, I don't really like raw. Do I?
2: you not. <laughs> and he does like that. He had a he likes it. he had a stand up special. Stand up special. So he likes he likes it. I mean, I assume he likes his stand up special. We don't know.
1: I assume he finds it funny. Right? Do you think he has sticks on if he wants to laugh? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> it's on the vinyl. <laughs> Well, it's like that bit, it's like that Kanye West
0: story about Kanye West, like just enjoying, he just listens to his own music. Because he's like, well, This is really good. I so listen to just, my own music sometimes because yeah. it's exactly the kind of music that I like. Yeah. yeah. I've made something that I really respond to.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so
0: it's kind of, yeah, it was yeah. always yeah. going to be the way. And you know um, all the context behind the artist as well. I do as well. And I yeah, know all yeah. the lyrics as well. Well, I don't know all the lyrics, but I know most of them. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you could learn them if you need to. Yeah. When, uh, when when the record label IRS, when they first heard the EP, it included the song Ages of You, which won't mean anything to you really. Uh, They, they felt that like that song was a bit weak and they preferred another song in its place. However, they didn't like the recording that they had of that second song because it was too fast. So R.E.M. went back into studio with Mitch Easter in June 1982 to re-record a slower version of that song that ended up as the opening track of the Chronic Town EP, and it's called Wolves Lower
3: Suspicion yourself, don't get caught Suspicion yourself, Suspicion yourself, let others out While lower walls Here's a house to put Words at the door
0: That's the opening track of the Chronic Town EP by REM. But upon its original release, people might have heard it third. Uh, the, the two sides of the vinyl, they're not titled as side A and side B, uh, which is a practice that REM continued for all of their career, I think. They're okay. labeled, uh, and this is how I found out some of the lyrics that are on the EP, they're labeled as Chronic Town and Poster Torn. Uh, And on the track listing on the back, the sides are the wrong way round. So it looked like it went one million, stumble, wolves lower. And then this was corrected for subsequent pressings. But it probably meant that people put the poster-torn side on before the Chronic Town side. Uh, In fact, the Chronic Town side goes first. And this is the first song, wolves lower. What what do we make of it?
1: See, this is like... Playing it then, like the choruses, yeah, I think it is largely is the verses. They were very, they're just, they're quite droney, you know? And then those verses like, ah, and we're all having a little bob and having a little fun time,
2: you know? Yeah, those choruses really make me smile. It's just just very pleasant to listen to.
0: I don't think the choruses sound as bright uh, if they're not coming out of quite like a start, stop. Kind of like dark, kind of verse, you know. It's very dark sounding, isn't it? Yeah. Suspicion yourself, suspicion yourself. Don't get caught. Like you need that kind of like stuttering kind of thing for this big kind of chorus to really erupt from from where it's you know where where it's got to be. You know.
2: Yeah. But even in those suspicion yourself stuff, the guitar still sounds really fun.
0: Yeah, it's got a fun little guitar twang to it. it has yeah, definitely and it's the, the the whole yeah the whole thing does. It's 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 a guitar led. Pop song that kind of sounds a bit like the Birds, but it's got like that darker post-punk edge. So you're like, sure, like no shit, it's REM. You know, this sounds like REM, guys. I don't know if you had figured that out. Yeah, yeah. But it 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 is quite weird. There's a lot of tension in that opening guitar line, and when the drums first kick in, they don't properly kick in, and they're accompanied by those small little vocal samples. And I think it, it creates a darkness. I think, and very crucially, it creates a mystery. There's something unsettling uh about the about the introduction and about the verses especially with the drums because the drums are quite stop start there'll be sections where our, there are like they're minimal but building and that's whenever stipe is singing and then there's that release in the verse that instantly like is taken away again as soon as stipe starts singing again yeah so like whenever he's singing it's very tense but there's, there's this release even in the verses there's this release uh, uh that happens um which of course is added to by the lyrics mentioning suspicion. I mean that we come on. We we heard that right. We all heard suspicion yourself. That's not something we struggled to pick out.
2: I'm mainly concerned. Is that a correct sentence? Can you suspicion no. yourself? Okay. No, no, no absolutely not.
1: Uh, Adam. Also, I didn't hear it because I've got written here pushing yourself. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, you got
2: close. You got
1: close. I got shun. <laughs> you I know. Oh, no, no, I didn't. Yeah. Because shun, shun, and shing aren't the same sound. Also, Adam, you, got, I d- you know, you got something. I do take issue with the thing you said a minute ago about saying the, the choruses don't sound as, as, as big and, and upbeat without those verses. Because I, mean, I think, actually, if, if I was writing music, I'd just be big all the time. Start big, stay big, remain big the whole time, never let
0: up. Absolutely. And so you hit the problem that me and Steve both hit with Apocalypse Please by Muse, which is it starts at 10, which means the chorus has nowhere to go, which means it's a super boring song the whole way through because there's no push and pull. You need that push and pull. You need the tension and release. You need the quiet and the loud.
2: But, but it's also, yeah, it's got those weird, strange samples and spooky noises, which a lot of the EP yeah, It's of. like a
0: laser sound effect or something at some point. Or something There's like. loads going on. It's all, it's all those tape loop things. And I think what's interesting about the lack of vocal melody in the verse is that the, there is a melody that is following that vocal line, but it's given by the bass.
2: Really? Okay.
0: Yep. Yeah. So when he's saying like suspicion yourself suspicion yourself don't get caught, the the bass is offering the melody for you instead. Do you want to do you want to hear a bit of it? It's fairly interesting. Do it. Yeah. Suspicion yourself, suspicion yourself don't get caught. Suspicion yourself, suspicion yourself let others out. Doom doom doom. Doom, doom, dum dum yeah. it's following the same intonation as the vocals. It's offering the melody almost as though it's it's a it's a harmonic vocal line almost you know um and then and then the pre chorus and chorus give you that relief, although well, not without like their own little eccentricities because the chorus, the main vocal part is arguably taken by the backing vocals that house in order. That's Bill Berry and Mike Mills on the backing vocals. And the main vocal is just going, ah, so they swap roles. It's not like a normal chorus like you would have, Mm -hmm. you would expect. And then the middle eight is, uh, there's this very discombobulating bass riff, a very indie guitar riff. And then there's all that odd tape loop noise. There's some kind of string part, that I think is backwards guitar that kind of bleeds in and then it's taken out again. They recorded the sound of crickets in the field outside, pitched them to be in tune with the song, and then placed them at the start of every other bar of the last chorus. Right. So there's all sorts of little studio experiments like that going on. I mean, the middle eight I'll play a little section of just because I think it's cool. And it's an interesting... like, When people say something is lo-fi or not produced, that usually just means it's a straight like live take. This is actually very, very produced. Isn't all like the weird stuff that's going on in, in, in the middle eight? quite odd it's all very eccentric and it's all very mysterious so yeah it's a simple little guitar pop song except there's all these intricacies that are quite weird and off kilter when you actually consider them and there's even smaller things like stipe is doing spoken word under his verse vocals so like suspicion yourself it's like the vocals are being followed and there's this kind of paranoia that is that is in the verses i think a lot of that as well as is a strong uh
1: Indictment? No, that's a bad. That's the opposite, isn't it? A strong advocate there of uh, a, a really involved headphone listen because I reckon a lot of that I didn't listen. I didn't even spot.
2: Is that why you thought it was really lo fi Maybe. I thought this song was called Wolf Lover for a very long time because I didn't read it properly.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's the whole thing is 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 mad. Like uh, you're right, the suspicion yourself. Uh, Stipe, he, he said suspicion yourself from Wolves Lower is just bad grammar but it works which I mean, yeah. it's difficult to argue with it's it's an interesting turn of phrase, suspicion yourself, um, but it is it is on a song that was originally called it was called Lower Wolves, but on the record he titled it as Wolves, Comma Lower right. and he says, so what did you expect? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think that that grammatical error speaks to his writing style and what I mentioned last week, which is things don't make tangible sense; they make emotional sense. And suspicion survived. yourself, kind of, yeah, exactly. It it, yeah. it makes you know what he uh, means, even if you, you you know you have to go. Uh,
1: it doesn't actually really make sense. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly.
0: But I suppose, do I know what he means? Because I'm 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 holding fast on my uh, thing from last week, where I said I wasn't going to look up the lyrics, and I haven't. Uh, I've done some listens in headphones where I've typed out what I think he's saying. And you guys are going to have to kind of correct me because all of my interpretation and my emotional sort of knowledge of the song is based on things that I <laughs> I think I hear. Well, okay, so here's what I've got. I got Suspicion Yourself. I got Don't Get Caught. Is it Let Others Out?
2: But It's going on about Wolves at the Door and stuff, so it's like, it's literally just, it's like some stuff around being like, uh, you've got You've got bad things coming your way. Like that's that's kind of what it's just going by. Yeah,
0: that's my interpretation of it. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, that's basically I don't know, what it is. So. Yeah. You guys have got the lyrics in front of you. Yeah. Uh Is it suspicion yourself? Don't get caught. Let others out. Uh While the lower wolves here's a house to put wolves at the door. Is that what it is? Is it here's a house to put wolves at the door? Oh uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Because if it is. I like the idea of setting up a house specifically to put walls at your door. Like, you're kind of like creating your own demons, you know? Uh, I, I like that idea. It's kind of resolved in the chorus when the house is in order. And then he says, in a corner garden? Wilder something? And then there's, there's a place where I got absolutely nowhere near, I'm pretty sure. Don't live around me. Your boss seems to run. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> What's that? It's, it's. Do you want me to talk
2: about the actual one because that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds Absolutely like Benny no Hill I mean. running, like chasing women, <laughs> isn't it? Um, <laughs> like down, down there, they're rounding a posse to ride. No, I don't think it is. I think Are you sure? don't
0: live around me. Your bot seems to run. You, yeah. you know,
2: you said in a corner garden, Wilder something. The, the yeah. something you can't hear is lower wolves. Oh, is it? Okay, <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah, okay, but is yeah. it
0: in a corner garden, then? Because there's, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah. there's loads of references to gardens and yards and stuff on this EP. But, yeah. but also,
1: Adam, you said they don't print the lyrics. So, I mean, what Steve's reading might be bollocks, mate.
0: Uh, they didn't you print said there's, initially. like, an interpretation. Or have they They've... subsequently...
1: So they have gone back and printed older lyrics as well, not just, like, they got to a point in there and we now print lyrics as of this year sort of thing.
0: Yes, although how accurate they are, I don't know, because fans would devise their own lyric sheets and uh, hand them to Michael Stipe at gigs and say, like, is this right? And he says, no, but those are the ones that I'll sing tonight. So they might have just sort of changed over the course of a, yeah, a, of, of a number of years. Um, but yes, I, I got the idea of, like, Wolves at the Door and, you know, uh, bad things bad things coming away. Uh, one thing I think is interesting is that a lot of people point at the CP and go, oh, well, Michael Stipe's vocals are, like, obscured in some way. I have found that they're not obscured. They are actually mixed quite loud. Not as loud as other bands, but they are mixed quite loud. And, and, and Michael Stipe just sounds like that, I think.
2: Yeah. But even though like, you're still getting the feeling of what's... It, so it doesn't really matter, does it? It doesn't matter that you don't know every single word. Because you've got
0: the whole vibe. Yeah, I agree. Although I think the ultimate test of that is the next song. <laughs> gardening at night because we were able to pull out bits of wolves lower and I'm interested to see how much we pulled out of gardening at night okay
1: Adam, what you said about keep an, like, keep an ear out for bass, because uh, you said yeah. that the, the bassist whose name I've forgotten already. Mike Mills. Mike Mills. I remember because it's, it's really normal. Yes. Normal and the bit. drummer's name also really normal.
0: Bill Berry. Bill Berry. All alliteration. They're like Marvel superheroes,
1: Bill Berry and Mike Mills. Yeah. Um, you said, like, keep an, ear, keep an ear to the ground for his bass because it's, it's sort of surprisingly cool. And yeah, there's like, yeah. There's, considering the song is reasonably simple... The bass could just do a lot of like root
0: notes and whatever, but it's not. There's a, it's, it's
1: quite all over the place. It's doing quite a lot of business.
0: That's where all the melody is, and that's why Michael Stipe can get away with being like.
2: Well, I was say, it, genu- <laughs> it generally sounds like it's taking the piss because yeah. it, it's like lovely. That it starts and goes. <laughs> he's, not, he's not mumbling. <laughs> no, he's not. He's very,
0: very, very distinctly not mumbling. He is singing. He's singing yeah. something. Uh, I I think that this one really exemplifies. How attractive the mystery of, of the band was. Like you can see why people were intrigued, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. In terms of what they sound like, I mean, I might be being a fool, Adam. Where are the Smiths right now in the world? And, and they do not exist. That's okay. So that's interesting. So it's not this. They, they won't
0: like... exist for another year. So it's I think, not. This or they're like... just starting up in. Manchester it's not
1: this thing. song. Sounds a bit like the Smiths. It's actually the opposite way we around. Potentially,
0: it's kind of two. It's it's kind of two bands with the same ideas happening. At different points, at different ends of the world, it's, really, it's a really interesting thing—the Smith scenario. Okay, but
1: me, mm. me, me, feeling some shared DNA there is not uh, completely out of left field. Then, no,
0: absolutely not. Yeah, see, no. I, I know things. You know things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know things. Um, you, you have, you have long asserted, and this is this is something you said three and a half years ago. and I'm not going to hold you to it, right? Most people pay no attention to lyrics. Is something that we have talked about a lot. Stand right? by it. Stand by it. You stand by it. Okay. So what do you really mean when you're saying that? The most there, I think, has
1: shifted. I reckon in the past, right. I was like, mate, 90% of people don't give a shit about lyrics. Maybe yep. that shifted because I'm now much more sort of aware of, you know, like, I mean, I watched fucking Billie Eilish live at Reading last night on the telly box whilst she was playing Reading and Steve was there. and They know every word, The right? crowd are fucking yeah. every single word. And they mm-hmm. mean yeah. things to those girls. Yeah. It, I mean, it was ninety nine percent girls' voices I could hear singing in that crowd, and they mean it's a high pitched crowd,
0: isn't it? And Steve, Crowe, <laughs> yeah. Steve, really
1: trying to bring the bass. Like he, he was doing, doing the he, low harmonies. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he was really, he really yeah. singing like Like, I to don't try talk shit about through.
0: you on the internet, like that. Yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: I do still stand by. I think that most people don't care or don't mm. pay attention. I mean, obviously, there's the obvious songs, right? There's songs that are, like, so trite and obvious with their lyrics that it's impossible not to, right? There's that Lewis Capaldi song that he did recently that everyone banged on about. Um,
0: But I think that that is every pop song. I think everybody can recognise the words of the pop song and, and, like, whatever's in the top... 40 people can recognize the words I'm not saying they learn them but I'm saying when they hear it they know what they are and and I think that is that is crucial in the story of R.E.M. because it was we've talked about it already but it was a huge talking point around the band in their early years that you could not make out the lyrics and for people to have noticed the absence of something they need to be aware of the presence of it, right? But yeah. then, like, even I'm noticing, the abs-
1: noticing, I'm aware of the absence of it, even though I don't listen to every single word of lyrics. But you know what I mean? Like, there's every song you can. I hear bits, you hear words, you hear lines, you hear phrases, and that's what I'm talking about. But I don't yeah, even yeah.
0: hear that in this, right? Apart from like, 100%. Uh, pocket, pocket change, pocket change, pocket change. Yeah. We all, we all got pocket change. We all, got that. We all instantly recognise pocket change. Um, no, I appreciate that that's not necessarily your experience of music, and that you don't know the words to some of your. F- favorite songs that's absolutely fine but i don't think you i think you're right you, i don't think you can level it at most people who engage with music because most people who engaged with this came away with i can't hear what he's saying which obviously implies that they could hear what other people were saying um and that is what led to this level of mystique that the band around, created around themselves you know and which ultimately attracted a lot of people to them um incidentally There are recordings from around the time where the lyrics to this song are easier to make out, but this is the version that they chose to include on their debut EP. Right. You know, it's a very deliberate choice. And I think, interestingly, that means on first listen, you are left with mostly only form to consider, rather than a catchy chorus you can sing along to, or to various tales of heartbreak in the verses, which is what a lot of pop songs are about. And so it's a, what is it? It's a very light, it's a very breezy kind of song, I think. I think the melodies are great and they have that kind of 60s pop vibe to them, but kind of like sped up, which is what, REM, R.E.M.'s vibe of like jangly 60s pop. It's, it's 60s pop, but played at like punk speed, a lot of their music, you know. Um, and I think you go, yes, it's a simple simple guitar song, right? It's like a nice breezy pop kind of vibe. Breezy is absolutely the word, yeah. Yeah,
2: breezy laid. Laid back, yeah. Um, but I mean, we all did the same sunny. thing when the sunny song, sunny, sunny song uh, when it kicked in. We all had big smiles and we uh, put our heads from side to side. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, you, we didn't yeah. bang them. We what would you do if you, you go side to side?
0: S- sway. Now uh, sway. I think is the whole body that I'm doing now, like a
2: horizontal nod. Yeah,
0: Horry nod. Hori nod. Think call it. Did it? We'll we all did a hori nod. nod. Yeah. Um,
2: gardening at night, though. Can make out that can't you? You can make out gardening.
0: You can at night. make out gardening at night, but again, not the first thing you, you think of. Like I, I, I had to focus in on the form, and I was like, okay, strummed acoustic guitar. They've doubled it with electric. There's that arpeggiated guitar riff in the intro. It's quite a busy bassline. Steve, absolute rock solid drums all yeah, the way yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and then those, but then those those pre choruses or whatever they are, they're really interesting. There's some kind of cheap electric sitar that he's playing. Is it? Uh yeah, and and the the percussion becomes quite minimal, which means that the guitar becomes more prominent and you get this kind of eastern drone kind of effect. And it kind of happens throughout the whole song. There's kind of this I it his high, Peter Buck's high E string is tuned down to a D. So it's in drop D, but just at the other end of the guitar to metal music. So it creates like this interesting drone note that goes throughout the song and I think that's why on this one Stipe's melody is a little bit more dynamic on this than the other ones because he needs to counteract that consistent drone. It's why that the melody... And I don't have to sing the lyrics because nobody knows what they are. Yeah. Uh, when he's going like... Uh-huh. Like it's, it's much more dynamic than the, than, than the one uh, that we heard before it. Yeah. Um, and I think the Yeah, you can't hear the lyrics. For me, that's not a complaint because they're less distinct. I think it makes it very vibey. It's very dreamy. Yeah, you know, the whole song is is dreamy, and especially those uh, at the end. There's those falsetto, very high reverb, ambient vocals at the end, which are really, really interesting. Um, definitely rewarded by a headphone listen on on these songs. I reckon there's loads of stuff in the production that's going on. And again, I think we're two tracks in. I'm yet to hear anything that is like super lo fi Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's just, it, it, I think that comes purely from the unintelligible lyrics. Especially on and maybe one. that's where the lo-fi thing.
1: Also, is not what some of it might be for me. It might literally just be uh, an assumption and a bias of knowing that it's an EP that's the first release of a band and going, yeah, it's going to sound like you know, first EP, first. I've done enough of these. I've done enough of these now that I know like what that is. Do you know what I mean? Maybe it's a bit of that. I'm just going, like, oh it's going to be the shit demos. We have got to get through before we get to the first
0: a- first proper album. Do you know what I mean? Kind of like the preconception we have whenever we do a B sides episode. Where you're yes. like, oh, this is just like a bunch of shit B sides, bunch of B sides, B-sides, it? yeah. B-sides. yeah, 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 B-sides. exactly. There's much more interesting stuff going on here than any of the first releases, except for Billy, which I think kind of doesn't count because uh, it's got that album length to it, you know, and and obviously a very high level of production. If you compare it to any other stuff, this is this is operating at such a different, you know, high standard. I think. Um, I mean, it's difficult to say what it's about. I've done some talk. I've done some like reading around it. So. Bill Berry said uh, it was inspired by a time that they were driving back from a show late at night and he needed to pee. And someone suggested that he pulled over and do some night gardening. Yeah. Right? Yeah? See, yeah. see what he's getting at there. Oh. Um, Peter Burke said that whenever he went out late at night to get beer, there was a guy in the local area who would do his gardening at 2am in a full suit and tie. <laughs> oh my God. And When he t- when he told Michael Stipe about it, Stipe wrote the lyrics to this song. Um Michael Stipe remembers writing it one afternoon when they were sitting on a mattress outside of the old church, which is where the line about pocket change on the floor comes from, because it fell out of someone's pocket while they were sitting on the mattress, which is very relatable, happens to the best of us, you know. Um, And I think those three perspectives, and we'll see more stuff like that along our whole journey here, um, just add to the mystery of the band, right? I'm, I'm using the word mystery a lot, but like, is it a fun story from touring... Is it a weird local character that is kind of like presenting some odd imagery? Is it something that Stipe improvised because he could see it while they were writing, like a weird like Kaiser Sose sort of character? And I think I reckon the answer to that is like yes. Like, you know, it's it's yeah, all yeah, of yeah. the above, or it's none of the above, and that is REM for you. Right. right? Um So, so what is so I made out Pocket Change. I made out Gardening at Night. Yeah. I think I made out Couldn't Be Arranged at one point. Where... Yes, yep. they said it couldn't yeah, be arranged. Yeah. 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 Yep. Uh, that was as far as I got. Yeah. Does anybody want to read out some lyrics to me and we'll see if we can do this on the fly? Well, I'll read oh, some out there. Oh, R.E.M. <laughs> joke.
2: Oh, God. Well, hang on, <laughs> Adam,
1: Adam, at least try opening lines. We know pocket change in the second line. What about the first line? I don't know. I like. I, I literally have no idea. I, I see your money on the floor. I felt the pocket okay. change... Though all,
3: though all, though all. Okay.
1: the feelings, the lines like follow onto the next yeah, line. Yeah, yeah, okay. So it's like I felt the pocket change. Though all next line, the feelings that broke through that door.
2: It it seems to very much be about that bloke that they saw. Because it, cause it's, oh, does it? Well, yeah. It's like saying uh, the sunlight hurts my eyes, and uh, the neighbours go to bed at ten, um, gardening at night. You, and, and, oh that's yeah. interesting. So it, it's very much got that
0: uh So to that is that brings to mind the stuff that I was talking about last week about Southern Gothic with kind of like quirky characters mm. and a narrative made around them, you know, it's all kind of in that. Um I do have I have some quotes though from the band about it. Stipe said, um Some people think it's about my father, some people think it's about drugs, some people think it's about gardening at night. It's about all of those. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. So there you go. Mm. Uh, Peter Buck said it's basically a metaphor for the uselessness of everything. But if you didn't get that, I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. So that's a good, that's good quote. It's, yeah, it's a good quote about the band.
2: <laughs> what's the name of their the, the record label? Was it
0: Night Garden? Yeah, Night Gardening or something. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. That's right. Good because this is the this is the first song they wrote. Right. That Stipe went. We've written a really good song there.
2: You know. And- Was born out of that. Yeah, fair enough. Is that one? Yeah, yeah,
0: cool. Exactly. Yeah. Um The next track is called Carnival of Sorts, Parenthesis, Boxcars.
1: You to, i think i know that this band actually was already out and about is this but the verses of this make me think of the cure who are Do actually they? who are actually about at this point aren't they i believe
0: they are although i'd struggle to t- i don't know loads about the cure i'd struggle to tell you what kind of music they're playing at that point because i know there is a bit of a shift at one point although i will tell you just from i just really quickly looked it up uh they've only been a band for three years at this point so there's a chance they've
2: heard them and had some. There's kind a of
0: chance. Appearance. There's a chance they've they've heard of them. Yeah, uh, I don't know when their like first releases were.
2: Before we get onto the song, is boxcar racing a real thing? Yes, because because in in TV shows here in the UK, it's made out to be some sort of really important rite of passage for every ten year old that goes through this with his I dad.
1: You say TV shows here in the UK aren't they all American no, no. TV shows?
2: In here in the UK, it's it, the american tv shows make it out to be like some really
0: important s- rite of passage for a-, a kid to go through with their dad i'm I, I i would say it's interesting that you went with that definition of box car
2: well it it
0: because i i've always pictured trains
2: well yes it uh this song has before we get into it a whole lot of circus imagery so yeah it's, it's does it yes i mean i mean yes it does dumb it's dumbo in in the box car of a train yeah
0: i like so yeah, you get uh well, you mainly just get the does it have loads of circus imagery? I think so. Um post poster torn I only like literally like just when I was researching this because it's the name of the side yeah, yeah. That, that this song is on that's the cuz I thought it was postage on I thought it was Chronic Town Postage on Reaping Wheel. Yeah. And I couldn't tell you what a reaping wheel is. I I've, I've always um I've always assumed farm equipment mm. something to do with sowing and reaping or or something. But I've got there's a secret stigma reaping wheel diminished carnival of sorts chronic town poster torn reaping wheel stranger to these parts Yes yeah, that, that is right I right, stranger okay. Say stranger twice but.
2: but but straight away like again like when when you when you break them down like that maybe not but like that is like something coming to town like a, a strange strange things coming to town a poster Yes you're right the carnival's coming to town uh, chronic town You've got later um, cages under cage. Um, Again, it's not saying, it's just giving you kind of tastes.
0: There's an essence, but there's also a darkness, right? Mm -hmm. Because although the carnival is coming to town or it's moving through the town in these boxcars that are turning out of town, there's also, there's a secret, a stigma, Uh, gentlemen don't get caught I think is in there yeah, yeah. as well, which is a very kind of, there's a darkness uh, in, in this small town sort of like um, imagery. Uh, this is, uh, it's always been one of my favourite REM songs. Um, this is like it's my favorite on, on the EP by Miles. I think I think the EP should have opened with it. I think it would have been a very very cool opener actually because it starts with that it this circus thing mm. that is played on the little Casio keyboard with a little shitty microphone. That is a bit scary um, though. We you... it is quite creepy. isn't It makes It makes me
1: think of uh, I know. I mean, it's a it's a lame uh, thing to suddenly think of. But it makes me think of Bioshock because that's got interesting. That, like, old and it's creepy, right? That game is sort of like creepy yeah, yeah, and yeah. and like. Those sorts of, you go into like a creepy circus thing, very yeah. very that vibe. Yeah, yeah.
0: But then it like explodes into this like energy. It's got such propulsion. And I really love um, clean chords used as a riff because he's just, he's just strumming his guitar, but you can actually like hum the thing that he's playing you know ding 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 that's it's it's really cool that that's played like as chords and it's so clean and bright and the guitar is like really rhythmic and you're absolutely right steve maybe it's about a carnival i've i'd put money on it being about a carnival but i also wouldn't be surprised if i lost that money yeah, do you know well, know what I mean? well, that's
2: what I mean. I don't think it's like <laughs> this is a song about a carnival coming to town. It's about yeah. it's about strangers coming into you know, like s- scary strangers. But that kind of feeling of unease, right? Especially in um, yes. if you're thinking about the town that they were in, uh how the history of that town and then the kind of uh what do you call them hippies coming into that old money, all that kind of stuff. You can kind of see he's maybe making some connections there with that. I don't know. I just thought of that on the spot.
0: That's really interesting. You're that's, a clever boy. That's mate. a really interesting. You're a clever boy. And this is what I said when you guys asked me, like, what do you like about REM? And I prepared you for the idea that we weren't necessarily going to be doing like deep dives on here's the imp- imp- uh, the the inspiration of the song. I couldn't point to something and go like, this is what inspired that song, and this is what it was written about. You know, we you can point to that in Radiohead, you can point to that in Manic. Kevin Carter. Sometimes my analysis is just going to be like just sort of fucks <laughs> yeah. just sort of just, just sort of good vibe yeah. fucking going on well, well, wait, on some of these songs <laughs> that- you know and and this is one of those for me like this just absolutely rips my shit uh i, I just <laughs> i love it i just love it so much it's it's just so energetic and there's such an energy to it and they're really communicating that energy you know
2: yeah that that chorus is great with the like the, the way the the vocals overlap each other the different parts coming
0: over Box cars, the box cars are turning yeah. out. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, like, That's, yeah. It's great. The, the way that, and then the bass line is playing a different melody. It's all of these melodies and the arpeggiated guitar. They're all tumbling in like on top of each other, it, and you can hear like you can hear punk music on this song, and you can hear the birds on this song. You know, you can hear all of these influences. Um, very cool. Very cool. Lucas is going to give me a big don't rate.
1: Something really weird
0: about, or well, not weird,
1: but something kind of interesting about the lyrics is there's the verse and there's the chorus and that's it. Well,
2: you did did say it was repetitive, didn't you?
0: Simple, repetitive. You know, there's a power in that, but not even like similar verses, just the same verse three times. No, yeah, they're exactly the same. Yeah, yeah.
2: Lazy. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Yeah, lazy shit. <laughs> lazy um,
1: again the with the ba- again baseline, right? It's 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 the uh, deceptively interesting bass lines for mm. sort of you know just a, a rock song, so to speak. Um I, I don't not rate, it's just like it's the same it's the same as kind of the rest of them, to be honest. They're all they're all broadly, when you get to the choruses, I go, Oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, 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 So you're uh, not even uh, uh, not even responding
0: to some of like the, the the interesting stuff that they do in the verses and, and stuff like that. You know, some of the stuff that we've pulled out in terms of like noises yeah, but, and but composition it, and No, stuff. and it
1: is and it's it's you know, it's it maybe it is lazy to say, but like when you guys then describe it, I go, yeah, that is that is better than what I thought. But it's not mm. what I originally, you know, it's not what I initially picked yeah. up on is the thing. Hey, that's what the deep
0: dive's for. Without, without doing a podcast, I would never have picked up on any of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, man, maybe, I don't know, m- maybe doing this with these five songs will set you up to kind of like maybe better appreciate the stuff that's about to come or maybe you won't like the stuff that's about to come until you sit down with me and steve and we go through it that might be just what the what the vibe of this season is you know babes but either way let's 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 crack on uh yeah one million or one comma zero 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 comma zero 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 i don't know how you want to say it but uh, one million okay simplicity and repetition on the last one lucas um i think we played just outside of a minute but within that minute we've heard all of the song already right yeah that's it yeah, yeah. yeah that's it. I, I think <laughs> like, the rest I, is just I potentially
2: not to just go immediately with negative i think this is maybe the weaker of the lot but like uh
0: wrong i oh <laughs> that's actually incorrect steve thank you for playing <laughs> Steve's gone. <laughs> You're at of it. <laughs> oh, okay. like, I don't know what to do. Don't know what to do. This is unprecedented. <laughs> uh, it's actually one of my favourites, but but I tell you what though, well, not that many. has taken. It's, it's, it's likely, isn't it? <laughs> but that has taken. That has taken twenty years. Right. I think yeah. I think I would have told you this this was one of the weakest until about three weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. Now it's like my it's in contention with my favourite. Yeah. But sorry. Speak on that, King. I agree with Steve though, just for the for the record. Okay, prayed, yes, so. cool.
2: Uh I, I think it's it's maybe just it, there's not there's not enough to grab hold of. Uh I'm doing crab claws with my my hands here. Um And you're describing and the and crab I'm just claws. Like, as well. Describing the crab claws. Uh I don't know. Like it's got something, something. I think he's he's doing a bit more of a growl with his voice. It's been a bit more <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I fine. That clear... is that is how oh, he sounds I thought he was clearing your throat, yeah. I just wanted to make sure.
0: Uh, uh yeah. for me, right. For me it's it's the energy. It's it's the, the again, it's the communication of the energy of the thing. It's it's that kind of like the monotonous verse line. Um you know that just sort of like very very drilled in tight melody and then it gives way to that softer bit and everything kind of relaxes and then it goes straight back into like the 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 verse and then um like the the guitar going from the aggressive strumming to like the ring arpeggio then straight back to the aggressive strumming and then you get that chorus that kind of Opens up, and I thought I thought you would respond very much to the drumming, Steve, because it, it gets you know there's great those, like Tom, yeah, yeah. No,
2: it's good. It's I like this EP. Um, no, I
0: mean, Steve, you said it was shit a minute ago.
2: Did I? You,
0: you did say it was the one of the worst things you'd
1: ever did heard. Really? Yeah. You said it was. You said your, your your exact word was dog shit. I think.
0: Yeah, I, think, I can only apologise for my foul language. It's okay. It's okay. Um, man, I don't know. Like uh, punk versus and. Just straight up 60s pop choruses with the I could live a million years thing, which with just these very happy go lucky strummed guitars. And in between those two bits, those little psychedelic moments that are like littered around. And for me, like, I, I remember Lucas, uh, ages ago, we, we kind of identified something, and you might not remember this actually. We identified that you like moments in music. Yes, like think- sometimes a song will be good because you you like a specific like 10 second bit where you're like, oh, I love that bit.
1: Or even like, or, or like a minute or yeah, like a, yeah, a yeah. chorus, but not the verse. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: I have one of those uh, for this one, which is the last time that it goes from, they play a slightly longer psychedelic bit and it goes back into like the punk verse kind of style, but even like harder than it has been. And they do some like, uh, there's like a vocal whoosh that goes over it or something i don't quite know what it is i just think it goes kind of hard uh, i'm i'm going to play a little bit of it because i just want to hear that moment it's all about those little moments huh Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So tight. So cool. So much energy. Um, Exploded in a marker stone. Not only deadlier, but smarter too. Is that something? Exploded?
1: No. 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 Exploded Uh, is not the right word. Straight away. Secluded.
0: Secluded in a market. Is marker stone right?
1: Because I also had market stall at one point. A marker stone. (laughs) not, Not only deadlier, but smarter too.
0: Smarter, smarter too, to all along the. Yeah. Tomb. Did you work out the chorus? All along the what? Sorry, what did you have it as? I didn't have. I don't have anything for that. I just had it as all along the tomb, all along the ruin. Oh, oh okay. Maybe, maybe some more of that sort of southern gothic, like old, like a marker stone, a tomb, a ruin. Those those are very interesting images, I think. Which
1: are all things you wouldn't have if you lived for a million years. Well, actually, you would eventually, just in a million years.
0: You would eventually have a tomb. Yeah. Is he talking about the marker stones and the tombs and the ruins? They've lived a million years. Or they could live a million years.
1: Is there any evidence of a million-year-old? No,
0: but there might be in a million years. Yeah, you yeah. yeah. Humans, be yeah. Humans haven't been around cinemages. for a million years, have they? they? So. Yeah. No, exactly. No, no, they haven't. They've been, been around, around 3, for, 5,000 years? 5, years oh, yet.
3: Yeah,
0: lovely. <laughs> 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 lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. Could not for a second begin to tell you what it's about. Although I think we're onto something there with the the passage of time and the markers that we leave behind in history, right? We're kind of onto something More there. More stuff
2: about secrets.
0: Yeah, sure. The, the secret in the ruin. Oh, yeah. guys... It simply fucks. That's my <laughs> yeah. grand sort of, that's my grand analysis of Your the grand song. grand theory is that yeah. One
1: Million by R.E.M. fucks.
0: Yeah. And I'm going to put that, I'm going I'm to base my entire doctorate around that. I'm going to become Dr. Adam Scott Glasspool, just based on the idea that this song... Simply fuck. When someone says, what are, say, what are you a doctor in? Are you a, what, a, a GP?
1: One million by Which R.E.M. Go, I am a doctor in One <laughs> yeah. Million by R.E.M. And specifically the fact song. that it fucked. Yep. From,
0: from their first EP from 1980, what are we, 1982? Yeah, why not? Yep. Uh, Stumble is the last track on the EP. Teeth. <laughs> Not going to go immediately into deep dive lyric chat. I don't sure. think, but can someone just confirm to me whether or not he is saying four chan in the chorus?
2: Yeah, it's right. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, I yeah. thought it might yes. be very ahead of their time. Four chan, foreshadow ahead of their time. Yeah.
1: Well, because obviously, Michael Stipe, creator and owner of Four chan, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's and, right. And yeah, as such, not- and as such, every single stance and opinion held on that website is is <laughs> owned his. by him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure i would be happy with yeah. that. I'm sure, I'm sure no issues with yeah. that. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, th- this track is the one that maybe most feels like, "Hey, this is what REM are. This is what the band are." It seems more like they are going like, "This is the kind of music that we make." You know, they have it's quite a strong melody. I think completely indecipherable lyrics again. Very crisp arpeggios, disco drums, and that the 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 galloping bass line is something, isn't it? Dood, 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 doo dood. Yeah, galloping's a, a word. L- listen to the bass line again. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just going
1: do it's not just going do it's not just going do 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 it's do, going do, yeah. do 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 do. do, do.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's it's playing off with the drums and giving that kind of like very propulsive sort of rhythm section that, that, that it's. Barry I would call it's very
1: really nice to call it repulsive, is it? Like it's not that bad.
0: Pro propulsive.
1: propulsive.
2: He's he's, fi- <laughs> he's filling in the gaps that uh the drummer leaves. Okay. So he's doing he's doing
0: some extra bits. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean that's that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um also maybe the best indication of how the guitars are produced for this whole EP. Peter Buck is playing the same part twice. Once on a six string and then again on a twelve string, and then they're each hard panned left and right, so it makes it sound like one guitar, but super wide and full of its own sort of intertwining harmonies, because you've got the twelve string in there as well. And that it's like that across the whole EP, um, but it's most prominent on on Stumble.
2: It makes it so much uh, dreamier sounding, doesn't it? Um, it does. Yeah. Wait, th- this song has the uh, like the extra percussion in it that's just so off-putting over uh, Bill Berry's extremely tight drumming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Because it's just, it's not quite right. (laughs) 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 I don't think it's over. I think he is doing that. That's all him Mm -hmm. live. No. So is he? Yeah.
2: Oh, so maybe because he's going, maybe he's playing, because he's not playing any drum at the same time, he's doing the hi-hat with his left hand and the snare with his left hand and then doing the, oh, that's cool.
0: Yeah, it's cool. No wonder he fucks He's it up then. How do we know? <laughs> that? Do, we, do, we know that, do
2: we know that for a fact? Or is
1: there a chance it's just recorded in a separate take? And, it and... might be. He plays it live, is the oh, thing. Oh,
0: there you go then. Yeah. No, so, it's well, maybe track. it's a separate take on this. Back track. Yeah, back, in track. back in track. It
2: sounds very um, odd and out of place. I don't mind it.
0: I, right. I like it. Well, th- th- this is This has a lot of stuff that is quite odd and out of place, right? There's a lot of... Hey, we're REM and we're very experimental. We're like we're weird guys, actually. Yeah, on this that, one, so that like it,
2: breakdown that comes right out of the left field and it gets with the spoken word yeah, section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We'll yeah. get to the spoken word section. Okay, we'll get to
0: the spoken word <laughs> yeah. section. Uh, it's it it's, it's kind of got a drum solo in it, right? And it's got uh, tape loops of the band making animal noises like, like, like ooh, ooh ah, <laughs> and they're they're like all in the background. The song opens with. Um, uh, he, he got Michael Stipe to sing outside, but also took him outside so that they could record. You'll like this, Lucas, because this is something in common with one of the bands that you know we've covered. Uh, the zipper on his trousers. That's what you can hear. The first thing you can hear is, is the zipper. Um, and then Michael Stipe laughing. And then he says teeth, obviously referring to the teeth on the zipper. And then he goes <laughs> with his teeth. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then that very
1: opening guitar, that duh, 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 before it properly comes in. Uh, yeah. It's something. It sounds like something, and I don't know what it is. And my, my, I
0: think it's like an indie song from like 2008 or something, like a Foles song or something. Let's have a little listen. Let's see if we can get it. And we can also rehear him doing the zipper, saying the word, say, laughing, saying the word teeth, and then clicking his teeth together. Uh, let's see if we can figure out what song it is. <laughs> It's a very sped-up version of Chasing Cars by Snow Patrol. No, it's not that. It's not that. It is. It is. It is. It sounds like Cassius is over.
1: Cassius away by Foles. Something like that. It's some like shit indie song. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Or Eternally Missed by Muse, which actually is exactly that intro, actually. Thinking about
0: it. Oh, it could be. I don't remember what that song sounds like. But yeah, anyway, loads of little experimental things, including him, when it all kicks back in after the middle eight, him going, doof, doof, doof with his vocals, which they include in there. It's quite a neat little, uh, nice little touch. Uh, Adam, do you uh, actually not know what the lyrics are in the chorus? Uh, uh, in it, the chorus? Yeah, because you said it's 4chan. Uh, for chan genuinely, that's what I hear. I don't know what it is. I, I had follow, follow the chain. Is was my guess. Okay, yeah. What what is it? Ball and chain. Ball and chain, like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then the, the 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 verses are: We'll stumble through the yard. We'll stumble through the age, age, age. A-P-T. Oh, A-P-T. Which stands for Athens
1: Party Telephone, a phone number where you could call and get a recording of what the hipster, par- of what hipster parties
0: were happening that night. That sounds dangerous. Oh. So that sounds... So that, that makes the song sound like then it's about Athens, right? They're stumbling around. Because the, the stuff I made out in The Spoken Word was um, it's, it's around about midnight, hipster town, imagine going for a walk. So, so that's where the song is derived from, maybe, right? Like stumbling around Athens.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know you if we're going into lyrics now, are you gonna try and guess any more before I start talking about them or because no. we talked about how like at least sometimes you can kind of pick up a vibe of what something he's talking about. Don't necessarily think that's the case unless it's a load of bollocks.
0: No, we'll stumble through the yard, and if it is we'll stumble
2: through the APT. That makes sense. And then you've got Force Fields Explorer Racing, Home the Ancient Star, Yellow Mixed with Golden Hue, and Scan the Graveyard Dead There Be
0: fallen chain that's a that's a compelling point i don't really know what that is let me let me read it let me really quickly read it um, wait, wait, was there stuff about ufos in there or something did you say forcefields um,
2: explorer racing
0: home forcefields the ancient forcefields star explorer racing home yeah yellow mixed with golden hue scan the graveyard dead there be. i mean it's quite cool i mean yes, yeah, yeah, something. <laughs> It's something. It's a bit sci-fi. I don't know what it means. Yeah. but it, you know, nobody knows what it means. But it's provocative. Yeah. Gets the people going. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, um, I think it ends on uh, quite a cool note. I think stumble is the weakest thing on on the EP, though. Uh, what, what do you guys think? I I think a million personally.
2: I, yeah, I think those last two tracks are maybe the weak uh, half, but mm. but otherwise. Real,
0: real solid, real nice vibe. I think if I felt that those were the weakest tracks on the EP, I certainly probably couldn't still. I couldn't call them bad, though. No, do you know what I mean like it's still there's there's a there's a level of uh, there's a there's a high watermark, I think on this. Um, I mean, it's fucking high for me as well. Like when, for the listeners' benefit, when we get to the full albums we rate everything out of 10 as part of our inane scoring system. And we don't do that for EPs for reasons that we decided three and a half years ago and have stuck to. Yeah. But if we did... I would struggle to give this anything other than a ten. I think. Wow. In like in in the in like the grand, I have this list. Lucas, you like, can't be surprised. He said this is one of the best
2: things he have ever <laughs> covered.
1: I know. It's just uh, <laughs> it's un it's unprecedented for like an like an early EP to be anything other than most of us being pretty like you know.
0: I know, right? Poor I know. to uh, fine, you know. Yeah, the the highest uh, like an opening EP. If you're going to include Billie Eilish, I gave a seven because I have this mad like ranking thing where I have everything, all 64 and now 65 things uh, that we've covered, including EPs and best ofs and live albums and whatever. This uh, I've ranked them all. So obviously, OK Computer, Kid A and Rainbows at the top. Those are the top three. This makes it to number seven. Yeah, it, it, out of everything that we've covered, this is my seventh favorite thing. Um. I think I prefer this to the debut album, which is heresy for some people, but I think they just—they really come out of the gates absolutely sprinting. Perfectly sequenced, great songs, excellent showcase of the nascent days of the band. In my opinion, I will reiterate that if you don't get on with this, you might struggle, because this is the core of R.E.M., I think, and at the very least, they sound somewhat like this for the next five or so albums, which is an oversimplification, but it's also true. (laughs) <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. It's simple, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't. Well, now, now that now that we've gone through it though, in a bit more depth, how are you guys feeling about it compared to where you came in with it?
1: More, more positively, definitely. Mm. Uh, I still like don't think I'll be inclined to go like I need to stick something on to listen to watch. shall I stick on. Oh, I'll stick on the the, the REM EP. Sure. I don't think that'll yeah. be happening, but. Yeah, I'm more positive on it because of the stuff you pointed out, and that you know it's harder to just spot on a casual list and on an Echo Dot.
0: Sure, yeah, absolutely.
2: I think it's, I think, I think it's really quite good, and uh, yeah, I just really enjoyed my time with it. It's like the sun's been out, and it's it's been uh, nice with the sun. And I, has the sun been out where you are? I'm so jealous.
1: Wait, you've been listening to this with your son. He must uh, find it a bit. He yeah, must. He, find do, it. he had
2: heard it a bit actually. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. It's fine. If, even I, if I you were swearing, for kids. even if you were swearing, yeah, you wouldn't know. Would um, yeah. but it, but it has made me well. Maybe not know more so now because uh, I was. I'm now excited to get into the meat and giblets of the albums. Um, <laughs> meat and giblets. The giblets. I want to put my fist inside the opening and
0: rip out those no, giblets and, no, and, no, and no, feast no, upon no, the flesh. No, no, of, no, I've got another question for you guys. I've got another question for you guys. Mm. Uh whether you kind of respond to it or not, whether it's your seventh favorite thing that we've ever covered at the podcast sure. or not, can you get a sense of why this was incredibly well reviewed and highly regarded when it came out?
2: I can, yeah, especially when you played all that other stuff
0: yeah that's that's
1: what makes it more noteworthy is that it's it's so not classic rock
0: you know right yeah also it's a it's a little bit classic rock in places, some of those choruses they're a bit classic rock um it was reviewed at the time quite positively. The NME at the time said, it was five songs that spring to life, full of immediacy and action and healthy impatience. Songs that won't be denied. R.E.M. ring true. And it's great to hear something as unforced and cunning as this. And I will say I agree with that. I think there's nothing where I think they're really, really trying yeah. to be something. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it all seems very natural. It's all very easy going. It's just, it's just them. There's obviously something about those four guys. They just clicked instantly and had that chemistry, which is what I think all of the people who piled into their shows were obviously picking up on, just that insane kind of chemistry. Um, Cream said, despite its eccentricity, R.E.M.'s record is undoubtedly the sleeper EP of the year. Um, and I know that we have 20, 23 years. Um, but in 1982, this, it, was, it was eccentric and it was weird. I think you can hear it, and, and, and some reviewers and, and people in the music industry were not necessarily prepared for that. Um, in the same Cream review that I just quoted, the reviewer said, This EP is so arcane that I had to play it six times in a row just to get a handle on it. And even now, I'm still not sure. Right which I think is interesting, because um, that was a positive review, but he's just not sure like what it's about or what it's trying to say. You know, um, One of the radio promoters for IRS said that many of his contacts at Campus Radio did not know what to make of the record, but added that the Georgia stations and some of the more together college stations across the country jumped on it. And Steve, this begins college radio's infatuation with REM. Um, do you guys know much about what college radio is? No. I
1: reckon it's radio that's hosted by college students and is only played and listened to by college students and it plays local college bands.
0: There's one bit of that that is not correct and the rest of it is all spot on, which is that it's not only listened to, by college students I guess yeah what's you can't force someone to be like oh no you can't actually yeah, tune exactly. into this uh, yeah. frequency actually so, yeah. yeah sorry we've blocked this FM frequency from your house um, what's the frequency college radio REM joke. You can't do REM jokes, and I can't. So most colleges in the US they have their own radio stations, uh, which we actually we do have in the UK. And I I had a show. I had a show on my on on my university's uh, radio station. But it's not really in the UK a scene or a movement unto itself. And because the US is so big, each college radio station would be like wildly different, and they wouldn't necessarily play commercial and mainstream hits. Uh, uh, In fact, uh, for for some, it was a licensing requirement not to. And so they instead reflected the local scene and the new and emerging talent. And so that means that over the years, college radio has become synonymous with emerging musical trends like punk, like New Wave, like post-punk. And then outside of what we're actually going to talk about here in this episode became synonymous with alt rock, indie rock and hip hop. And it's basically kind of if you had to distill it down, it's like what the kids are listening to, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and if and if if something is popular at one college, it bleeds into the next college over and so on and so on until you have this kind of slow burn success where an artist is on every college radio station up and down the con- country and and it became a genre, the kind of rock music played on college radio. Steve was so of a type that it formed a genre known as college rock. And on REM's Wikipedia page, one of the genres listed is college rock. And I I'm sure that bearing in mind what we just talked about in regards to like these radio stations expressly not playing mainstream rock and more of an alternative to mainstream rock, you can kind of guess where that aspect of the story is heading, mm-hmm. kind of. Basically, college rock is from the 80s, and in the 90s, it just got retitled as alternative rock. Right. Ah. Uh-huh. Ah. So anyway, some of these radio stations in the state of Georgia pick up on the EP and play it all the time, and it results in Chronic Town selling 20,000 copies in its first year. Wow. Uh, for a relatively unknown band, that is, that is huge. So it sold well for that kind of release. And the critics seemed to get on board with it. It was ranked as the second best EP of the year in Village Voice, which was a very influential music magazine at the time. Um, And they continue to gain traction in many markets or states, I suppose. Uh, They're marketed differently in each one to appeal to as many people as possible. Uh, For instance, they spend a whole month just living in California and only playing in California for the whole month, just until they took... Just until people got used to them and started to go and see them, right? Um, And you know that's that's interesting, and you know there's that air of mystery about them uh, that kept people coming back. You know they're private guys; they let the music do the talking, and then very quickly they start to look towards making an album, which means we will leave it there for now. I think Um, that brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Our next episode is out next Monday, and we are going to deviate slightly from what we usually do because we would usually do uh, an audio commentary for every album era. We're not going to do one for Murmur. We're going to do one pre-Murmur. We're going to do pre-the debut. We're going to do one for the Chronic Town era because I think it would be silly not to see what REM were like you know, we've talked so much about how attracted people were to these gigs. Next week, we're going to watch one of those gigs. We're going to watch an R.E.M. show from 1982. Uh, so come and join us for that. It's so long ago. It's it's 41 years ago. Yeah. 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 <gasps> oh my god yeah uh before you come and join us that let's know what you think of the chronic town ep do you love it Do you hate it is it the kind of template for rem that i suggested it was or is it just a a a shit ep recorded by a shit band that lucas (laughs) put it it last week (laughs) come and tell us everything about what you think uh this show works best when it is in direct conversation with all of you listening uh find us on twitter instagram facebook at what is music pod tiktok at what is music and if you'd like to send in something a little bit longer and have us read out on the show you can email us what is at gmail.com looking forward to getting stuck in to all of your rem emails which won't appear until about halfway through this season because yeah. we recorded so far in advance <laughs> but if you did like what you heard here and thought i'd like to hear more of that head over to our patreon page because we're doing all kinds of extra podcast shows there's one where we're there's one where we're revisiting manic street preachers uh, there's one where we're Explore all kinds of different artists and genres, and we make themed playlists. There's bonus commentaries, there's music discussion episodes, there's ad-free episodes of this show. There's a really amazing Discord community, and seat. Head over to Patreon.com/slash WhatIsMusicPod, or follow the link in the show notes for up to two podcast episodes every single week. And there are, of course loads of other ways you can support us if you'd like to buy some of our merchandise over at whatismusicpod.redbubble.com send us a little one-off donation over on coffee.com, which is ko-fi.com slash whatismusic the best way to support us however is still just doing what you are doing right now which is listening to us and you can rate the show subscribe to the show share it with your rem loving friends all of that stuff that podcasts ask you to do that about does it thanks again for listening we will see you next week but for now it's the end of the episode as we know it and I feel I I feel pretty good. I don't know about you guys. I'm a bit tired. <laughs> exactly the end of it. <laughs> yep. <laughs>